What is up, podcast world? We're going to get right to the chase. This is the Art of the Conversation. And today on the podcast, a very exciting podcast, we have my boy, Evan Burnett. Evan is a filmmaker. He is a director. He is a writer. He is a motion media artist. And today we are going to talk about his grad thesis film, Grip Gaffer, among other things, of course. But this is a very funny guy to talk to. He has a very interesting story. And uh, we're going to get deep psychological today. You'll understand what that means when you listen to the podcast. Anyway, let's get to it. Are you ready? Are you ready to try? In a holy man's Zion, you got to make your decision, but don't wait too long. Sick, don't uh, go hang out with friends. Well, here's the science. This is science. Mm-hmm. If you're sick, fuck NyQuil. NyQuil's for bitches, and we're not bitches. We're grown men. Mm-hmm. All right. What you need to do is go buy that NyQuil because you know it works. So don't don't take that first advice, bro. Get some NyQuil, mm-hmm. peppermint schnapps, and a little and some strong ass ginger ale. Ooh. That cold's gonna go fuck itself. I hope it does. Strong move. It makes me think of those posts where people mix NyQuil and DayQuil together. Mm-hmm. Or they, what do they do? They, they take like a, the thing that makes them sleepy and then a five-hour energy. And then they're just like blink and the day is over. And they're like, what happened? Why would you do that? I don't know. You remember, I don't know, I don't know how big it was. Um, you remember, I remember when I was in school, there was this thing called robo-tripping. Where you <laughs> okay? Uh, I heard about it in like high school, and then um, I actually saw someone do it in college. So basically, what you would do is you would drink an entire bottle of Robitussin, like you mm. chug it, and then uh, you would you would trip out somehow. Interesting. Yeah, I imagine you were just drunk and had a little cough syrup. Maybe you just like walked down the stairs really bad. I don't know. I I, I saw a guy. I met two guys who did it. The first guy was like passed out on the floor. And then the second guy was like, let's go outside and play football. <laughs> oh, man. It was fucking weird, dude. It was parties. We did, we did not have robo-tripping, but I'm pretty sure I've heard that. So maybe we did have robo-tripping, and I was just, like, too far outside the uh, <laughs> the social circle of robo-tripping. Dog. So what, what, um, what part of the country did you grow up in? That is a good question, actually. Um, I guess Idaho. Okay. Um, that's kind of what I've told people since I stayed there the longest. I moved a lot as a kid, and, and people kind of assume that means military family, but no, my dad works in agriculture, and people got to eat everywhere, so... <laughs> uh, so Thanks. I was... It's To add to the confusion, I was born in Iowa. Mm-hmm. My family's from Ohio. Okay. And I, I guess, grew up in Idaho, which... Just all these similarly sounding states yeah. to confuse people. Um, I also lived in Kentucky. I lived in Washington. Mm-hmm. But between those, I my family's in North Carolina now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I was in Idaho for seven or eight years. So that's basically where you spent the majority of your childhood. Yeah. So and what I, age, what ages were you there from? I was there from ooh ages. I know I was there between fourth grade and. 10th grade okay so you were there from about 9 to 15 16 yeah that, that sounds pretty accurate okay the um i'm now thinking about that 15 16 because i had to 
I started my driver's ed stuff mm -hmm. in Idaho. Okay, yeah, you about 15, 16. Which is different than out here. <laughs> well, because, like, I, I lived in Boise, the capital, or, or, like, Meridian, which is one of the adjacent towns. Mm -hmm. And that city is pretty much, you've got a gridlock on one side <laughs> or another gridlock at 45 degrees, and that's about it. Okay. And... I remember my parents talking about, like, if people were going over the speed limit, you might have someone call in mm -hmm. and report you. Like, it was just a lot of people being... I don't know how often that happened. I just know Wait, they said Wait, so somebody that. saw you going over the... First, how the fuck would they know unless they had a speedometer? Um, unless they were going the speed limit and you went faster than them. So are you talking about people, like, on the streets or people, other drivers are calling I, in? I think other drivers. Cause I, I was too early a driver to confirm any of this, mm -hmm. but I was understanding that maybe they just said it so i didn't speed on the road what so what's idaho like right like, it's like idaho is one of those states where you like you say like colorado and you think mountains you say california you think cocaine and, and mountains and water you say new york you think of cocaine and being stabbed like <laughs> <laughs> when you say idaho it's kind of hard to picture in your head i think of yeah. potatoes Yes, that's that's what people go for because of, the, of probably because of the Idahoan potato <laughs> brand or whatever, mm -hmm. and that's like, oh, that's a state that exists. Yeah. Um, I I think of the outdoors mm -hmm. because I mean I lived in this this dry basin mm -hmm. in Boise, but there's a lot of mountains in Idaho. Yeah. I sure think if I if I wanted to drive to the top of Idaho, I'd actually have to leave into Oregon and then Washington and then drive back in. Why? Because of the mountains? Just because of the mountains. What a fucking dick. I mean, <laughs> may, maybe there's like small access roads, but mm -hmm. I, I remember friends doing that when they went north. So they're like, they're proper mountains. Like there's no roads in the mountains. They're like, you know, fuck. They're, they're proper mountains. Fucking hell. Go, go hiking. You ever hike them? I did a little bit. Mm -hmm. I wasn't that serious of a hiker, but I remember my, that's something my dad and I did. We went out to... I'm like mixing all the names together. Mm -hmm. I want to say Horseshoe Bend, but I feel like that's a North Carolina thing. And anyways, we, <laughs> I remember there was like this this small lake kind of in the middle of the, the dry part that we would hike to. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, I mean dry, like, like sagebrush tumbleweed territory. Ooh, which fuck, like borderline desert shit. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> technically a high desert. I mm -hmm. don't know if... I don't, I don't know if it was on anything, mm -hmm. but it was. Uh, it got cold okay. in the winter. So that was, I guess, what high desert means. Mm -hmm. um, but I remember we when we hiked this place, it was always blazing hot. And there was this one lone tree mm -hmm. just kind of at the midway point between the where we were going, this, this lake, and I guess where we parked the car. Okay. Uh, so that was always like our... Our way station is oh there's the tree. Uh, mm -hmm. Sit down, eat a sandwich, relax for a little bit, get get some of the breeze, and then step back into the blistering sun. Nice, but was it nice? Like the scenery was nice. You did you enjoy living there? I did. Um, I think part of that is because up until fourth grade when I went there, it, I was bouncing around a lot. So I, I definitely at least had a better experience there because I had long-term friends, mm, okay. which was great. And, and this was uh, in Idaho is when social media kind of started to exist mm -hmm. in, in a stronger capacity. So prior, if I wanted to reach out to someone, I'd have to go with like the call the home phone, Ooh. assume that the mom isn't 
on the phone with someone else taking up the phone lines or no one's on the internet <laughs> exactly exactly so it was it was easier to communicate with people mm -hmm. easier to hang out with people uh so that that made it a, a lot more of like an enjoyable place uh environmentally mm -hmm. i know my family and i really liked washington before that i was only there for a year and a half but mm -hmm. just like the rainy days the tall pine trees that I thought that was really... How old were you when you lived in Washington? That would have been from part of second grade and third grade. Oh, so you was a kid, kid. Yeah. Dog. Those trees are big when you're tiny. They're st fuck that. They're big when you're grown. <laughs> right. Dude, why, that, the, the, the Northeast is a cool looking place, right? Mm-hmm. With those tremendous trees. It's always kind of gray. You got the water. It's basically just a cold, green California. Yeah. Um, I love it, but my biggest thing is I don't fuck with nature like that. There's a lot of bears up there. Mm, there are bears. There's, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't fuck with bears. I, I did, I did see once a bear, um, on the, like, in the, on the median between a freeway. Like, it crossed. Was and, it a big bear, a little bear? It, I, Black I mean, bear? It, I was a kid, it was just a bear. <laughs> you know what? You're right, a bear is a bear is a fucking bear, dog. <laughs> exactly. Dude. Bears fucking scared. I'm not afraid of animals like mm. that I won't run into, right? So I'm not tripping about cobras because, I mean, fuck it. The, the yeah. chances of me running into a cobra in America are pretty slim. I'm thinking of animal stories now. Go on about cobras yeah, real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not too, I'm not tripping about a cobra. I'm not tripping about lions. But bears, bears are fucking real. And they live everywhere. And, like, mm -hmm. dog. No, I've seen The Revenant. I ain't trying to have that shit go down no, with me. That, that is a gris that is a visceral scene. Yes. You don't want to live that life. Um So bears, cougars, and bull sharks are the only things I'm afraid of in North America. Yeah, cougars, uh you have you have right to be. Yeah. And that is the animal story I was thinking of. What you got? So when I was in Washington in my year and a half there, okay. we lived in this neighborhood, but it wasn't like typical suburbia it was like on this hill we all kind of shared this this tree space this mm -hmm. basically just it's basically just a tiny forest okay in between a bunch of the streets and our house backed up into that okay and there was like you know there was like a tiny trail that you could walk along and just be in nature and you're super close to your house so it's it's a nice little escape but I, I remember one day being at home, I guess I was in like the kitchen eating something, mm -hmm. but my mom was on the phone and she just stops mid-sentence and is like, what on earth is that? And we, I look outside and there is a mountain lion just, just sitting, hanging out in the flower bed. Chief, what do you, okay, when you say a mountain lion, I'm enthralled now. Mm -hmm. What do you, like how, how big of a fucking mountain lion are we talking here? We talking like a baby mountain lion. I'm talking like we talking like mama mountain lion, or maybe teenage mountain lion that just uh, found out what Pink Floyd and acid were. I'm gonna go teenage Pink Floyd mountain lion again. I, I was a kid. It was a mountain lion. <laughs> um, I think I don't know. Maybe maybe like a little bigger than a dog. Fuck that. No. It, fuck you. And it, we watched the thing, and it just like was like, no, I've been seen, and it gets up, and it just kind of like meanders over into that forest area. And it turns to this tree and just fucking just ascends the tree like absurdly quickly and disappears into the pines. And we're like, I'm not walking in that forest space anymore. D d what? It's, what? Yeah, it was just like, no way. Um, what? And I 
What? This is probably a similar. This is probably the same animal, but I do remember this the school I went to, the elementary school, had a lockdown because either the same mountain lion or a completely different one was around the campus. There was like a there there was like a, a stable kind of nearby with horses. So I think the mountain oh, lion was just fuck. like animals hanging out, he's friend thinking, food. No, no, he's not thinking friend. He goes, mm. Mm. I hungry. Mm. I, it's dinner time. Ain't nobody watching either. I can get in there right now. I remember that was probably just me as a kid being like, oh, okay. The adults know what's happening because they're just like locked down the buildings and like, oh, all right. Anyways, uh, shapes or whatever. Do you remember how you were feeling? Like, holy shit, there's a mountain lion or like, was it just like, oh, that that lives in our backyard now? I I think it was, I don't remember being scared in that moment, Mm -hmm. but I remember there was at one point when I walked back into that forest space, I walked down that trail. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, you had seen the mountain lion already. I had seen the mountain lion prior. And Dog, what are you doing? Exactly. <laughs> I, I walked a little bit, and I don't know, I heard a noise. Maybe it was the wind in the trees. Maybe it was a rabbit or whatever. But yeah. I just instantly turned heel, yeah. ran back into the backyard, and was like, "That's that was a mistake. I'm not doing that again. 100%. If, dude, if I ever saw some shit like that in my backyard, we're moving. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're and, and good moving. news, we did. Dude, because here's the thing. Bears, um, bears are pretty cool, right? Mm-hmm. So first off, did you know that bears can tell time by smelling? No. Yes, dude. Bears can smell like miles and miles away, and then they can tell time by the scent. But I think it's by like the strength of the scent. Okay. So if it's like weak, they're like maybe two days ago. Oh, that's fresh, right? Interesting. So it's it's like us looking at the stars. Yeah. But it's, it's the bear sniffing the forest. Yes, it's fucking crazy. But the thing about bears is majority of the time they're not really going to fuck with you if you don't fuck with them, Mm. right? And then like in Georgia, we have black bears and black bears are bitch made. Now, don't get it twisted. I'm not trying to see a black bear either, Mm -hmm. but like the chances of them running away are are, are very high. Unless it's like a mama grizzly and you're Leonardo DiCaprio, then you're fucked. Yeah. But like, dog, evolutionarily speaking, Mm -hmm. when it comes to killing shit, bears are good. Cats got that. Oh, okay. Cats. We're on to cats. No, fuck that. Dude, cats of all size and shape got it when it comes to murdering shit. I guess they are like predator based. No, they are predators. So Yeah, they're carnivores. Cats wow. are they're consummate carnivores. So that means they can only eat meat. You will never see a vegan cat. <laughs> I'm I'm just thinking of all the times uh my cat as a kid like tried to eat greenery that my brain went omnivore but now that i think about it yeah he definitely just like threw that up immediately dude yeah cats when it dude just like their strength their agility their ability to just adapt to wherever the fuck they are mm-hmm. like you said that cat was like oh i'm out of here and he climbed the fucking tree yeah it was it was just like it was a calm meander and then all of a sudden it was it was beast mode yeah no fuck that Fuck, that means you're walking one day and a cat mm-hmm. goes, he's got the drop on you. Yeah, he's a drop cat now. Dude, and here's the thing about cats. They're all dangerous. Mm. Right? Even the ones that love you will claw you if they you don't look you. at them wrong. See, dogs came to people because we worked out a relationship. No, they <laughs> We did. signed a contract. No, we did. So dogs will, they'll help you hunt. Mm-hmm. They'll jump, they're like, fuck, dude, dogs get war medals, okay? They help save the country, America. That's true. Cats came to people... Because they realized if they didn't kill them, they would give them things. Hmm. So uh, 
even like I don't feel bad when I see a homeless cat either. When I see a homeless cat, don't feel bad. It's it's the way of the world. No, because he can provide for himself. Hmm. They found that house cats are actually the most efficient hunters, mostly because like a like a lion or a tiger or a cheetah mm-hmm. has to go find their next meal. Most house cats have their meals presented to them by us, so when they hunt, it's purely for sport. It's pure sport. <laughs> Fucking sport. And here's the thing. The heavier a cat is, the more dangerous. Hmm. Would you feel safe with a 100-pound dog in your house? Yep, I'd probably feel safer with a dog in general. Exactly, that dog. Even as a cat person, I feel like I feel like if a dog accidentally scratched me, it's because the dog loves me and wants exactly. is excited. If a cat accidentally scratch, scratches me, it's not an accident. Oh, yeah. And when we're talking about a 100-pound dog is like a great Pyrenees. That's Bubba. He's your friend. 100-pound cat, that's a fucking cougar, and he will try to murder you. He, he will ascend the trees in my backyard. Straight up. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's the direction he went. It was straight up. Straight up. Fuck that, man. <laughs> dog. So, mm-hmm. you've moved around a lot in your life. Yeah. So... Obviously, that time you spent in Iowa was kind of your formative years, right? So you had the most... Idaho. Time. See, there Iowa. it is. What did I say? I said Iowa? Yeah. Fuck! Right? Like, it's Fuck. like... I get it, though. It's... Yeah. You don't... You don't really hear of those states outside of specific contexts. So they just kind of blend together to someone who lives in, I don't know, Georgia with Atlanta. Yeah. But, you know, you have your formative years in Idaho. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're constantly moving. So what was, like... How did that make you feel? Right? Did you... Because when, mm. when, you, when you have more stability, right, you're able to prepare and build more. You're able to have more consistent friends. You're able to have a consistent home. But when you're moving around a lot, there had to be, like, this sense of, like, uh, not really having a base. Yeah, I can, I can kind of see that. The, um, hmm. <laughs> the, I almost, because I noticed I'm not great at texting people, mm, okay. which even... Even with social media, and I can reach out to some of these these friends that I had in Idaho, mm-hmm. it's sometimes it's like, oh yeah, I don't have a thing to say. I think fondly of them, and that's mm-hmm. I, I don't have a thing to say. Um, but I think sometimes it's easy to forget that that's still there mm-hmm. because as as a kid, even before social media, it's like, okay, yeah, I lived in Idaho and I knew some people, but then I moved away. Mm-hmm. And and that was it for a lot of those moves, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm still like I'm still connected with some of these these friends on social media. And while I'm not great at texting, the occasionally we'll we'll have a nice conversation. We'll mm. we'll catch up, and it'd be nice. And it's kind of it's it's like a a pleasant reminder that like no, that's not just something that was in the past once. Mm-hmm. It, it has a ripple effect into the now and and what i'm what i'm doing with my life and then who i'm talking to and mm-hmm. it's it's interesting it's it's definitely different i would say so like what was it like changing schools right because that was because it's got to be especially since you've moved from mm-hmm. like vastly different places like if you're from idaho i not nah. if you know we'll what fuck it idaho that's idaho. where i'm from now idaho we gonna fuck with that mm-hmm. that's what we're saying for now but seriously so like when you're moving from like iowa to like north carolina right mm-hmm. there's obviously like cultural differences there's obviously geographic differences on top of that like your location in the country is different you know different time zone oh yeah and then even the kids are different. So like, I don't know, whatever they think is cool in Idaho might not fly in North Carolina. You are correct. And I would say, A, I, I moved 
from Idaho to North Carolina midway through high school, mm-hmm. which for... Ooh, I, for what, what do you mean midway? Like you were sophomore, kind of sophomore year? I had two years in one high school and then two years in the next. Two full years? Two full years. Fucking fuck. Which is, which is weird. Yeah. Um, and if I hadn't moved so much as a kid, I'm sure that would have rocked my world. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would have been like some... You, you'd see that on Netflix of like... Oh man, like what am I gonna like? Everything's different. The clicks don't make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say in in Idaho, that was the stereotypical high school experience um, of like the different stereotypes and the football on Friday nights. Mm-hmm. That kind of w- what you might see on TV. It's at least closer there. Okay. The um, there's a definite sports culture there okay and the what's the sport of choice probably football because that's where they have the blue field oh oh yeah boise state yeah that's that's them and i feel like a lot of a lot of people either grow up watching watching idaho football or Mm -hmm. want to be in idaho football but you saw a lot of you saw the a lot of the kids where oh it's winter and it's snowing outside don't worry um, your kid's going to school wearing like a thick parka and basketball shorts, because then when you go to gym class, you don't have to take off your shorts. You you're just you're ready for gym that much faster. You're so into sports, and I'm I'm here like an art kid on the side, like oh my okay, God. cool guys. Fuck um, it, whatever you gotta do. Then. I live your life. Um, so, what kind of what kind of groups of people did you see yourself falling into, like? That were you like the were you guys like the nerds mm. were you like the jocks who like who like, I, I who guess like, what, what probably you... closer to nerds but well there's levels to nerds right you're right and so there's like geeks mm-hmm. right well this is how it breaks down for me you have geek fluid okay <laughs> which is a bro who's who's like not all the way bro but secretly into nerd shit and can maintain the balance hmm. then you have geeks. Which are a level below bro. So, they might not be able to lift weights, but they can bang out push-ups. But they also know geek shit. Right? Then you have the nerd. And the nerd is the one who has found his niche. Right? Whether mm-hmm. it's like, he, has, he does some cool like computers or art or something. Yeah. But he's deep in the murky waters of lore. He's down there. Deep. Then you have the incel. And no one wants to get to that mm-hmm. level. <laughs> I feel like I, I would consider I, I had a group of I don't know if it's a, a definitive group of five, mm-hmm. but especially because one of them was only there for freshman year and he he ended up going to a different a different high school. Mm-hmm. But they were like my four closest friends, mm-hmm. uh, and of course we all had like friends on on the side of that group. Of but I feel like we didn't have a specific group. Mm-hmm. Um. I feel like we were kind of in between. Okay. And and I there are like the okay this is clearly the nerd group. Okay. Um, and I have some friends over there and and this is clearly the massive encompassing jock group. Yes. That um is in most of the school and we were we were friends with with people here and there. I I think I would have been considered a theater kid. Okay. But I don't think there was that much of a theater group there. Especially because, like, the way they did it in that school, it was like you couldn't be in the plays until you were an upperclassman. So, what did you do before then? Uh, theater elective. 
but okay. because of that you weren't like you weren't in the group you were Ooh, just taking electives you were, you were group adjacent exactly so i didn't i didn't know any of the actual people in the plays mm -hmm. um people just knew i took an elective in theater and that was about it okay moving high schools to north carolina that is where i was more of along the lines of a theater kid because it was so much more of a thing there interesting and um well there were a lot of the sports bros yes, in in idaho that was the main thing in those theater electives it was like a class of 30 and it was like okay there's me and there's steven and we're the dudes and that's that's it you guys were the only guys pretty much yeah i think no scott was there too um he was in, he was in debate and he was trying to get better at that so so he did theater so he did theater makes sense the um but it was it was clear that Theater was in Idaho, or at least growing up there, that was not something you saw a guy do often. Did that make you feel weird? Not really. I mean, I knew I wasn't, I, I, I didn't belong in the sport bro group anyways. Okay. So I, I was like, oh yeah, I'll just talk to Sarah and, and Jessica and like, yeah, that's fine. Um, when I went to North Carolina, it was the opposite. Mm -hmm. it, it was like, a, what's that movie? Channing Tatum. Uh, 22, yeah. 22 Jump Street. Yeah, where they where go like, in front of the kid. Yeah, and they go, they they roll up and they're like, here's what the stereotypes are. Here's what the stereotypes are. And everyone's like, no, we don't do that. It's like the exact opposite. And they're like, what the fuck? The funniest part of that scene, he was like, what are you guys, gay? Yes, well, let's make fun of him. That's okay now. It, it was like, so so I rolled up and it was, it, it was the opposite. There were more guys than girls in theater. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, the person who got the lead role in Hairspray, he was, he was like the captain of the soccer team or something, mm -hmm. and he auditioned on a whim and he got it. Mm -hmm. It's just like tearing down those those conceptions. Like Fuck. that was cool. Um, that was also different because that one was a private school mm -hmm. because my parents were kind of sick of the public school system. Was it was it an art school specifically or what? Like was it, it just private? It was a day school. So it wasn't art, but okay. it was like people there. I knew people who went there from, from like first grade mm. and they were in like the lower school for elementary. And then there was the middle school and the high school. And they were there and mm. knew that group of people for 18 years. And then one in particular, she was like, I have to get out of North Carolina. I hate it here. I have to leave. She went to Tampa okay. for her undergrad for one semester and said, I, I have to go back. To North Carolina? To North Carolina. And then Florida she, will do that to you. <laughs> Florida will do that to you. I've seen too much crazy shit here. Mm -hmm. Dude, so I, I, I've, never, I've never considered myself to be an artist. Hmm. Right? I don't, I don't even know what that word means, to be honest with you. I'm figuring it out myself. Right. But I knew that when I was in high school, um, there were you know, obviously you had your groups, right? Mm -hmm. So you had the theater kids, you had the jocks, you had this, you had that. But I'd moved around a lot of schools too, mm. right? And one of the things that it wasn't nearly as extreme as yours because you were you're literally moving across the country, so you're learning new cities and people as you go. Mm -hmm. But one of the things for me was I had become so used to moving schools so often that I never really put any effort uh, into developing deeper connections with people. Because in my mind, I'm like, mm. 
and I'm not going to be here next year. So we stayed on surface shit, unless you were really, really my friend. I had some, mm-hmm. I had maybe like three or four super close friends, but other than that, I was just kind of like there, but not really there. I see what you mean. I, I agree with you because that's what I was when I went to Idaho. Mm. Um, because in Washington, I was really close friends with somebody and I, my parents, I, I remember my parents telling me this more than actually living the moment, but finding out I was moving again, like I was crying cause I, I like, I didn't know what was going to happen to my friend. Mm. I wasn't, I wasn't gonna be able to talk to them anymore. There's no, what's social media. Yeah. I won't know about that for another couple of years. Yeah. So when I went to, this is just going to be a sad image. When I went to Idaho I remember being on the playground and there was like, it was, there was like the mulch thing and then a concrete border around it. And I just like made laps on the, cause I was just like, there was no point. Like I'm going to yeah. move. Like, why am I making friends with people? Yeah. That's, I don't know. That was weird for me. Um, also because during that time I broke both of my, I, at mm. some point I broke both of my fucking femurs. Oh, so oh. I, I only Isn't had that the bad one. The one that you do not want to break. I mean, technically speaking, you want to break any bone. I mean, that's true, but... I but your femur is the biggest and strongest bone in your body, so when you Ugh. snap that bitch, it's fun. But it's, it's not fun, but it's fun. They give you good drugs at the hospital. Oh, but what was, what was interesting was I only had two real years of high school. My freshman year, mm-hmm. then at my senior year. Then when I got to college, I was in college for my freshman year for two weeks. Then I broke my leg and I had to come back. Mm-hmm. So not only was I used to moving schools but i was also i'd been hurt so many times literally my leg was broken so many <laughs> physically times. and emotionally yeah that like making relationships never really seemed like the like i remember being at graduation and i'm like i don't why the fuck's everyone crying it's because mm-hmm. i didn't know anybody right it's only that now that i moved to atlanta that i see the importance of like investing in people but also um, having people around me who are all interested in the same shit, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I played football, then broke my leg, couldn't play it anymore. Ouch. So then I never really had like a group I could identify with. It wasn't until I got to SCAD that um, I was like, oh, you guys want to make movies too? Yeah, well, what else do you do? We do this other shit. So it wasn't until now that I was able to really truly, especially as an adult, try to develop and further like actual friendships. So did you ever feel anything like that? I, yeah, the... I, I also studied film in my undergrad, mm-hmm. but it was like, I, I, I was doing it in like a weird way. Like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm studying film, but I'm taking electives in theater and art and animation and stuff like that. Uh, and that's why, I don't know what artist means, but I know it's like a catch-all term. Right. So I'm just like, yeah, I guess I'm an artist because I make artistic things, I guess, in various fields. Yeah. But the, I, I wasn't... When I decide, when I was finishing my degree there, I did. I just deduced I needed to learn more. Yeah. Um, I wanted to learn more because, like, in my final capstone classes, like, we were finally getting into like the deep stuff that I was really into. Yeah, deep and and, and making more. stuff. Yeah. So I came to SCAD and having all of these people around me who are also like, yeah, I'm serious about making stuff. I'm serious about like telling a story in some manner. And on one hand, that was really cool. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, that was, I almost got like an imposter syndrome. Yeah, that, that happens. It, 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 it can like, I don't know, I felt, and I saw these people with, and coming A from a private school to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, there was, there was diversity in like a private high school and, and at Elon, but it's 
not like living in Atlanta. Yeah. It's, it's different. Way more black people. And exactly. <laughs> and so then there are so many people who are like, I have an underrepresentation in media. I have stories I want to tell people, uh, black Americans, people from Asia. Yeah. Uh, they're, there's a lot of people coming in from different countries to SCAD to learn how to tell these stories. Yeah. And I'm like, that's really cool. And Mike and I are in the writing class, and he has a story about a guy who goes to an ice cream store called Two Scoops, but he only wants one scoop. And I have a story about a guy who can talk to chairs. <laughs> and I'm just like, <laughs> like, hey, I, your story is really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's my really goofy, dumb thing yeah. that, I don't know, maybe you'll laugh, hopefully. Mm-hmm. So, that's one thing I've noticed about you, dude. Um, you have a very, very interesting sense of humor. I appreciate it. Because you you're a comedian yourself. Sort of. <laughs> I'm still figuring that out. But no, you have a very... Um, you and Mike, you both have very interesting senses of humor, right? So, that's the one thing I love about comedy, right? Mm-hmm. So, comedy, it's really this broad, encompassing thing. Because no, really, no one really knows what's funny. Mm-hmm. Until you say it, right? So you have like guys like me who are kind of like dirty as shit with <laughs> very out there ideas. But then you have guys like you, right? Like um, coming up with shit like Grip Gaffer. Fucking Grip Gaffer. The... Or like a story about a dude talking to a chair. Like where have you always have you all right, have you always been funny? I hope so. The so a I, I want to call out a potential connection on why Mike and I are the way that we are Mm -hmm. is that Mike is the only person I've met who knows more SpongeBob references than I do. Dude, that is, you know what's crazy? Mm -hmm. Natasha's never seen SpongeBob. And that's, we have to do that. We have to do that marathon. Because like, we'll be, we'll, we'll, we'll throw out references and we're all laughing. And And it showed us like, like, have a blank stare. And we're like, we want want you to be included. I feel so bad. because like, oh, if you just knew joke. It's, it's like, it's, I was at the point where when Mike threw references at me that I didn't get, I was befuddled. Because I was like, no one got them before, so I didn't like put in extra effort mm-hmm. to get all of them. And when Mike has more, I'm like, wait, I don't, what happened? So you're, you're breaking my mind. Mm-hmm. But, so, so, and I bring, bring up Spongebob as well because I think that's in my bio that I drew Spongebob comics you, for literal years. Yeah. The, um, I'm glad that stayed in. In... Idaho so probably when I was nine Mm -hmm. I was like I have a favorite episode of Spongebob and I am a child with a creative intent and no responsibilities because I'm a child science so I got a bunch of lined paper and I converted my favorite episode it was wet painters where they paint Mr. Krabs house Mm -hmm. Um, I converted it into effectively a comic Mm. and I was like oh that's really cool and that's 11 pages. You got a wet paper? Uh, a line, wet line paper? Like, like, like line paper? Like, yeah, just line paper. I might have said... Like, so like notebook paper? The, I might have like doubled over my words. The episode is wet painters. Oh, okay. That's and right, I got right. lined paper. I don't... So you got like lined, like normal, like, you know, note-taking paper? Exactly. It's and like, you just drew a comic on I, it? I just drew did, it that way. Did you freehand it or how did you do it? I... Yeah. I mean, like, I used the lines to like guide the boxes, which... Mm. The boxes were in my brain, the screen, mm-hmm. uh, and they were. I mean, SpongeBob was like like a fucking cube, <laughs> <laughs> like he did not have details. He but did not. but from that, I discerned that okay, a SpongeBob episode equates to eleven pages of this this yeah. physical thing I have. Mm-hmm. If I just like wrote a story 
and drew it out and it was 11 pages, that's the equivalent of a SpongeBob episode. Mm. So that's what I did mm -hmm. for an insane amount of time. I still have a binder like back home with my family that I should unearth <laughs> one of these days. And on one hand, it'll be like endearing. On the other hand, it'll be like, oh man, SpongeBob was like a cube. Like I didn't even, I didn't even draw like the, the pores yeah. that he had. Wow. Um, and th that like expanded. Okay. And I remember I, I drew them and then I made copies mm -hmm. and they would like, those copies would travel around the school. Like, like you make comics. Of yeah. Like, like, I mean, I printed it out and I like handed it to one friend and then I'd go away for a day and it would like make it back to me from some other person. Oh shit! So you like, you like a little folder you hand it, and mm -hmm. then you pass it around. Pretty much, yeah. You ever get late because of it? No. <laughs> <laughs> that was a wild question to ask. And it was—I had the answer very ready. It was very ready. So SpongeBob was your was your jam. It was. It was my jam. You know what's interesting about SpongeBob? Looking back, mm -hmm. when when it first came out, nobody noticed it. But as I got older, I realized this is like a surreal kind of trippy they TV did, show. They did some weird stuff. Yeah. Like, they did some really weird shit in the early seasons, and you're just like... Yeah. I mean, like, even... I mean, like, okay, we know... We get Sandy. Yeah. We know who she is. She's been on the show for, like, 12 seasons, or mm -hmm. I don't know what season they're on now. Um, but in episode three, they introduce a squirrel in a, in a scuba tank, or, or in a scuba suit, living in an underwater sea dome with a yeah. tree and a hamster wheel. And we're just like, yeah, we're kids. We get it. SpongeBob needs that water. He doesn't want to admit it, but he needs that water. It's a weird show. Squidward travels to the future. That was the trippiest one. Where he's all alone. Yes. And then, because it's not just that, right? Think of the levels to that episode, right? Mm -hmm. Like as a kid, you're just along for the ride. Like they're going through the future. Mm -hmm. But it touches on shit like we go to the future and then what if we break space time and end up nowhere? Yeah. The fuck. <laughs> and, and of course, the person there is, is Squidward, like the last guy who wants to fucking be there. Exactly. Dude. So, when did you um, first start to become like interested in filmmaking and film? Was it then, or I, I think it was subconsciously then. Uh huh. In that, I eventually um that that close group of friends from high school, it eventually evolved into not using SpongeBob characters. I was drawing comics with us, mm. which if, if you know, um, Ed's world, okay. it was, it was kind of like that. And I was like, Oh, you can just write stories starring you and your friends. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and I have like a, like a non-specific, a non like stereotype group of friends with like people with like this guy's a social butterfly. This is this is the really smart guy. This is um, the actor, and I'm the writer, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I'm there too. Uh, but I get because I was always thinking of those panels as screens. Yeah. I didn't. If I was really into comic comics, I, I didn't read many comics growing up. Then I would have like done crazy things, like with like insanely intricate panels. Wait, but, so you weren't into comic books, but yet you were drawing comics? Yeah, I was base. I was basically storyboarding yeah. an, ep an episode. Holy shit. But it had like speech bubbles mm -hmm. because I knew like, oh, that's what a comic looks like. That's what I'm mm -hmm. drawing, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I did that. So I knew I like, I knew I wanted to be somewhere in the entertainment industry. Okay. But as a person who 
did a film camp in high school, um, did theater in my second high school. The electives in the first one helped me get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, who was trying to learn animation from from things like Ed's World and the the comics that I was making with my friends. I'm like, oh, it'd be cool to have that drawn out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was the dude with a pen and pencil. Like I was drawing a lot. Yeah. I was I was combining things into one. Mm-hmm. And I think I still am. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm pulling, even with Grip Gaffer, which I think we only touched on in name yeah. uh, earlier, my current project, my thesis film, that is taking over my life in a good way. Uh, there's, there's aspects from each of these areas mm-hmm. that I think are coming into it. And I think that's... On one, in, when you come to SCAD and you see like all these people with stories to tell and it's like, I want to be a director, I want to be a filmmaker, and yeah. I know exactly where I want to be. And I'm like, I have all these different things yeah. that I'm trying to level up at the same time. Mm. So I'm not like flying forward as a filmmaker. I'm slowly encroaching forward on all of these things, I hope. So you're creative. Yeah. Because they're different, right? So you have like filmmakers or like painters who like, I like to paint, I paint. Mm. Right, there are guys who are like, I like to grip, I grip. I like there are guys who are like the DP, I DP. Yeah, but creatives are like, I like to do different shit. So I might mm. make a movie over here, but then I might take up sculpt. I don't fucking know. Whatever floats my boat. Yeah, that yeah, kind of you fall. And that's a, uh, I think so. And not to bring up the chaos of the current year that we're living in, mm-hmm. the, the listeners know, <laughs> they can pick up from that. They understand. Uh, oh, a bad year? I wonder what year that could have been. Um, 84? That was a bad year. Yeah. I, I don't I, know. It wasn't here in 84. I, I yearn for the future when someone's listening, like, this has been decoded mm-hmm. in, like, 3085, and they're like, what year? What bad year could it have been? Um, but we know. The, <laughs> with, when I started 2020, okay. to clarify for those who were in 3084 wondering, um, I think I had... I think I had a th- two and a half years at SCAD, but a master's degree takes your time. You oh. kind of really have to focus on that one thing. Oof, you good? Bro, I can't grip the skull. It's and you, like and you're a grip gaffer. <gasps> the um, I uh, a master's degree takes your time, and you're working on that, and you're working on film a mm-hmm. lot. And from that, I was neglecting some of these other things that I really enjoyed. So when 2020 started, I was just like, I missed drawing and animating and, and doing that kind of work. Uh, and here I am writing like the script for my thesis and it's stressing me out. And I eventually got it to a place where I felt solid on it. I was excited for it. And I turned it in and I'm like, cool, I have my last class uh, in my thesis pre-production tomorrow morning. Oh, what's this email? Oh, there's, there's no school. <laughs> oh, oh, there is a global pandemic. Yeah. So I, I went home to North Carolina uh, with family because they were they were worried about me being in Atlanta. The uh, the the cases were rising the same mm. amount in both states. Mm-hmm. But I think the amount of deaths in in Georgia was triple the amount of deaths in North Carolina. So my family was like, come home, please. Quarantine, quarantine come home and yeah. stay with us. You'll be safe. Uh, and I'm an only child, so... That yeah, explains it. Got to protect the investment. Exactly, exactly. 
So I went back and I was like, I took a, a motion media and After Effects class. I spat out an animation that had been on the back burner for a very long time. And I started working on like character designs for a couple of friends of mine. They're working on this, this pitch called Creeps. Okay. They're crafting the story together. And I've just been like, oh, you have this new character? Like here are a couple of variations on what they could look like. Uh, and that's how I kept busy okay. over the quarantine. And I was just like, I get to draw again. I get to it animate nice again. Though. Yeah. It, you finally got to go get back to what you really loved. Exactly. Or at least like this thing that I love that yeah. I hadn't been able to put the time into. Dude. Um, of now, course, by the end of August, I was like, all right, I've been here a while. I've been drawing for months straight. Like I would like to get back into film. Yeah. Um, and it's like, even if I don't get to work on, on Grip Gaffer, the, uh, at least I'll be in Atlanta. At least I'm living with, with, uh, my DP for Grip Gaffer <laughs> and we can, we can work together on some side projects. Facts. That, dude, that's beautiful. That's one thing I, I think the, the quarantine, it sucks, obviously mm-hmm. put a lot of shit on hold, fucked up a lot of people's fans, fucked up my plans, fucked up everybody's plans, mm-hmm. right? Some people are dead because of it. Um, it happened, but when it started, my mindset going into it is like, this is kind of perfect, right? Hmm. Because now there's like this giant reset in the world. Yeah. Right. And people are, they're at home, they're with their families more, they're doing shit by themselves. And now they're like, why did I hang out with this person? Or why was that important? And mm-hmm. hmm, now, now I have time. It's to a find... vibe check. Yeah. So now it's, you have, like you said, you had time to get back into, into drawing and you discovered why you liked it. Mm-hmm. But then you had that inkling like, this is cool, but I want to get back to film. Yeah. Right. And I think a lot of people are having this moment where they're finally having time to reevaluate and assess what's going on in their lives and decide like, fuck, I can change right now. Yeah. Because my thing is, if you come out of this quarantine the exact same way you went in, that's why you're not successful. Mm. You've been gifted the time. You know, how do you want to use it? But uh, going back to Grip Gaffer. Yes. I remember when I first moved here, Mm -hmm. the first set I was on was Molly's Thesis. Yeah, yeah. That's the first, that was the first set I'd been on in years. And I mean, I'd literally just gotten into Atlanta maybe two weeks before. Mm -hmm. I was scared. Right, I'm a PA, and I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know what a PA does, but I'm gonna be the best fucking one there is. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And um, I remember in the downtimes, this is when I first met you. I first met Jason. First met a lot of people, mm-hmm. and you were talking about this Grip Gaffer character, <laughs> and you were like, Grip Gaffer, he's kind of like Spider Man, but instead of webs, he just has film equipment like grip tape. Yeah. And I was like, that'd be pretty fucking funny. I'm, I hope he does something with that. <laughs> oh man, like I had no idea where that would go. Um, when so I Natasha actually is the spark from that. Hmm. I rolled onto that set. I was I'm glad you mentioned it was Molly's set because I wasn't sure if it was hers or a music video we worked on. Kind yeah. of in this, we filmed in the same area, so I, I confused them. Yeah, but I believe Natasha reached out to me, and it was something like, "We we need extra hands," and I said, "Oh, what do you need me to do?" And she said, "I." don't know right now. I just, I just know we need an extra person there. Okay. And I said, yeah, I'll be there. And you know, sometimes you roll up and I find out I'm on sound team mm. and I'm just like, okay, like I can do that Those job. I've best. done it. Or like, yeah, you're, you're reporting to the gaffer, you're reporting to the grip. Mm-hmm. Um, I showed up, 
and I asked who should I report to? Like, where should I primarily focus help? Mm -hmm. Um, And she said, well, I mean, I guess like we'll be moving equipment and lights. I I guess you'll kind of be like grip gaffer. (laughs) And my, some synapse in my brain fired. And I just immediately went like, that sounds like a weird superhero. Like, like Peter Parker, Bruce Banner, like it follows that formula. Um, and then it just escalated, uh, it, it, to the point where like we had alternate characters that showed up. Like for example, oh, you, you're setting up the camera. Where's the Matt box? And I'm like, oh, Matt box. Who's that? Who's, who's here? And like, like McNair always had Alan keys. I'm like, Alan key. Where is he? Where'd he go? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was always just like a joke. Yeah. And side note, I do want to throw out um, one of the people who donated. He donated with the name Holt Boulders, which is a goofy name I came up with in undergrad. And I'm like, I feel like Holt Boulders and Grip Gaffer came from like the same section of my brain. Like this this weird name situation. Grip Gaffer was a joke. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just like a, a goofy inside thing with like our, our film friends. And as we joked about it, like these other characters showed up and, and what it what it could be. But I never seriously considered it until I was in a script writing class. And it was like, cool, you have a final script due on Tuesday. It has to be 17 pages. And I'm on set all weekend mm-hmm. and cannot work on it or even like consider what i could write for that 17 page script okay it was like i got off set i had a day and i was like i need a 17 page script i I guess i'm just gonna write grip gaffer it's like it's all i have that's just like sitting there ready to go um and i and i spat out a, a first draft of the thing and i turned that in and i like i i don't know if it was like the energy of the people i cast or just like the weird nature of the project itself or like a, a strange combination of things. But I remember being like, man, this could be something. And our p- professor, Professor Rosen said like, f- festivals love things that glorify film. Mm-hmm. So this this could have a strong chance of getting into a festival. Okay. Like, do you plan to do anything with this? And in my head, I'm like, well, I, I need a thesis. What, what class is this? Was dramatic screenwriting? Yes. That class, that's mm-hmm. where you write your thesis. Yeah. That's that's the class you write. Because in our version, we had three scripts. So the first one was like mm-hmm. five to six. The second one was like five to eight. And that last one mm-hmm. usually ends up being your thesis. Because at that point, you've got a little bit of confidence. If you haven't fucked up, yeah. you know, you're feeling pretty good. And you just bang something out. It was unproducible at the time. <laughs> Because I was just like, I need a script. I don't. I didn't even consider it as possibly being my thesis at the time. I I had, I had like insane stunt things. I had like <laughs> this this gigantic lab mm-hmm. of with like a Frankenstein's monster kind of situation. <laughs> and when I was like, okay, maybe this can be the start to a thesis, I pulled it back, mm-hmm. and I pulled it back way too much. Mm. Like I had, I had grip, but not any of like the world that supports him and that was a huge problem i had i i was thinking too much on the producer side yeah of being like how on earth am i going to get all of these elements like i shouldn't i should just write it as simple as possible and i don't think that's that story works in a simple manner 
Yeah. I, I think you have to have like goofy, weird from a lot of sides, from a lot of different aspects. Dude, yeah. That's an that's an interesting perspective, right? So I feel like um that's probably one of the one detriments to film school mm-hmm. is that sometimes you learn too much, right? Yeah. So you take the writing class, then you take the producing class, and then you just go, writer's asking for too much. Mm, exactly, exactly. Right. And it's it it, it kind of gets to you when you get the thesis time, because obviously you're not trying to go fucking full, you know, episode three on them with all the yeah. CGI and stuff, but you want to tell something that's true and honest to you. Mm-hmm. One thing I found is it's always best to get a to bring in a producer rather than to think as one. Because mm-hmm. then you can just bang out what's on your heart and what's on your mind and then let them tell you no. Then we know how to work from there. Oh, yeah. I, I agree with you. Especially because um, I was going through the pre-production class on my own. Mm. So I was writing the script. I knew I was going to be directing it. In At the moment, I was essentially also the producer because I had to... Writing that, writing that version of the script was like, okay, I show this to the class at the end and I have to get approval from SCAD and I have to know how I'm going to make this stuff real. Yeah. Um, how I'm going to have to uh, put in gaff tape flying around like Spider-Man webs and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, and that's it. I, I thought I was thinking too much like a producer. Some people had, they like teamed up immediately. <laughs> so it was... So it'd be like, okay, like this person is going to direct the project, this person's going to produce the project, this person's going to DP it, and then it's three people whose degrees are on the line, mm-hmm. who are like, they're, of course they're all in it at the same level, it's 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 the thesis. Yeah. Um, and me going through it alone was a little bit overwhelming, mm. because it, it was just me, and... I was I just started living with Akil, yeah. who is my DP and has been helping me like refine this idea for so long mm-hmm. and that was that was a major help so the, hmm? oh no i didn't mean to cut you off there brother. you're good i also saw you like open your mouth and i was like but i didn't mean to thought. cut off, i didn't mean to cut off your thought uh what was my thought oh i was just gonna say that it, it's funny because kirby mm-hmm. was going through the pre-production class at the same time as me mm-hmm. a different section and she was writing directing did not have a producer, was mm-hmm. going through it on her own as well. And at the time, her project was, it had superheroes as well. Yes. It, it was like the, um, it, it was like the war, it was like the war overseas mm-hmm. um, and a child's view of their parents. Mm-hmm. And it, it's like their heroes yeah. off in the distance. And we, we joked about the similarities and how like we're on the same mindset. And even coming back after well, the pandemic's not over, but after us being physically away from mm-hmm. the projects, we're like, oh, I, I made a video with like the hopes of attaching it to a Kickstarter campaign for Rip Gaffer, currently live. Hey, the um, <laughs> uh, she, and she was making a Kickstarter page with the hope of maybe there, maybe we can have a video for that that we'll do afterwards. And we were like, so like close so as if like we should have just been if we were in the same class mm-hmm. and we knew where our positions were we should have just teamed up from the start uh however mm-hmm. i don't think we would have told the stories that we want to tell if mm-hmm. we did that yeah because i'm producing i'm producing her thesis as well mm-hmm. and i've seen it go from first draft to, to where it is now totally different 
Mm-hmm. It's been it's been a it's been an interesting evolution. But going back to, you said that people were teaming up. Yes. Right. I don't mean to get all deep psychological here. All right. I don't mean to get all deep psychological. Let's, let's try it. Um, I'm not a psychological expert. Mm. We'll get Caroline on the phone. Yeah, we'll holler at Caroline. Can we get Caroline? Can we just call? Can we call her and say, "Hey, you're like, you're on a podcast." I don't care what she's doing. Just get her on the line. Mm-hmm. Do you think that you wanting to do this on your own stems from you kind of being on your own in your childhood? Maybe because it's kind of it's kind of because for, for mm. me. Sometimes I find one thing about film mm-hmm. is it's an extremely collaborative process. It is right. So people assume that the director shows up, he starts barking orders, and then everyone <laughs> follows him. When in reality, the director shows up, fucking anxious out of his ass, and he goes, "I wonder if we can do this, mm-hmm. right?" And he depends on the gaffer for the lighting, the DP for the shots, the art directors and the grips, and everyone moving in unison to capture these moments. So it's a very interesting process, but I know for me, because I had had trouble, you know, making relationships and things of that nature, Mm -hmm. that doing things on my own felt safer because at least I didn't have to worry about depending on someone. Yeah. So do you think that played into Mm -hmm. your decision? Maybe. Like I said, I didn't mean to go all deep psychological. I I think, I think there's, I'm not going to say that's not there, Mm -hmm. but I think part of it is the fact that when I was, I, I think I, I subconsciously know what I want. And I don't always know how to express that. Mm. Um, so it's, I, I feel like, I feel I feel like I am the person who could tell Grip Gaffer's story. It, it's, I'm pulling from like my influences of, of Edgar Wright in mm-hmm. this like, this dynamic camera work, uh, hopefully, we'll see what happens when we uh, get on set and we have to, we have a lot of elements going, uh, moving around and we keep keeping people safe for the, for the pandemic. Yeah. The um, movie making is problem solving. Anything that can go wrong, can't, will go wrong. Things happen. Yes. Uh, I think there's also the mentality that I have of, from not necessarily an animation background, Mm -hmm. but from someone who th- probably thinks more in animation than in film, mm. it's if I want to, for Grip Gaffer to have four arms, like he grows another set of arms in the middle of a fight scene, mm-hmm. I can just draw that. Yeah. And if I wanted to have this scene take place on the moon, mm-hmm. I just have to draw the moon in the background. Exactly. You have to call NASA, get a permit. Exactly. Or, or like <laughs> build a set or, or hire a visual effects artist. Yeah. And... I don't know. I feel like on one hand, I subconsciously know what I want. I know what the story is and I don't, Mm -hmm. I I may not be able to explain that rather than just like showing it and and doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is another reason why I'm glad Akil has been sort of attached to the project as I've been writing it from the beginning Mm -hmm. that he, if I have not explained something to him, he at least like, has seen the paths I have tried to take. Yeah. And it and is has a better understanding of what I am trying to go for than I'd say most people that I try to explain it to. Just like, oh no, I, I know like you're talking about this character way over here and, and you're pulling from 
not just Spider-Man, but you've got like, like Robin from yeah. Teen Titans. And I'm like, yes, absolutely. Like I, I don't know that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I subconsciously know that, but not vocally. Dude, yes. It's that, um. That's one of the coolest parts about, you know, coming to to film school, right? Mm-hmm. Because obviously there are other people that want to be writers and directors and producers and the next Tarantino and want to tell a story <laughs> about their fucking magic teddy bear or whatever. Yeah. But then you also have people who come here and they're like, dude, I love photography. I love cinematography, right? And mm-hmm. it's so cool when you get to collaborate with those people. And one of the things I think is dopest about you, right? Okay. I have a giant smile on my face going into this. Don't. One of the things I think is dopest about you, bro, is I kind of – one, I would love for you to have an animated show because you have – you. I would – seriously, you have a very – um interesting imagination and the thing that's cool about it is it's one of those things that like so people so one thing i I notice about live action versus animated shows Mm -hmm. is live action there's always a limitation based on budget of like where you can get where the actors can go and things of this nature Mm -hmm. but like you were saying earlier with your storyboards right if i want a cryptographer to grow four arms he just grows the arm. Yeah, he just does it if we want to go to the moon we just go to the moon there's no permits right and your imagination kind of takes you there bro um, your storyboards. I didn't know you could draw like that. Thanks. I saw them and I was like, "Holy fuck!" I know exactly what he's going for. Cause like me, I man, I be drawing them like basic stick figures with the lines and shit. And it's like, I mean, the thing and the thing with storyboards is, especially on our projects, we're generally doing them ourselves. Yes. And which means like, you draw something, and if you know what that means. You got it. Yeah. Um, if you're like bringing someone in, then it's you have to like communicate with them. Be like, okay, is, is this kind of like where that shot is? Or you yourself have to tell that person. I'm thinking of an over the shoulder shot, but like, like maybe a wide angle. What would that look like? Exactly. It's, it's well, yeah. with yours, they're so dope because the most important thing about a storyboard is that. You know, you give it to someone else and they go, ah, I can decipher the hieroglyphs. Mm. And with yours, I can decipher distinctly like what you're going for. And I can clearly see it in my head. And I'm like, oh, man, this feels good. This is nice. Can we can we go with this? Can we move <laughs> forward? It's it's like I, I almost never I, I always freeze up when making a shot list mm-hmm. because if I'm directing it, like that's what works best for me is, is I just physically draw it and I might not know the lens mm-hmm. that it takes to get that shot. I might not know. Uh, I, I might I might not know all of the, like the shot list details that go in, into getting there, but it's like yeah I see it I see like this this is the shot where so and so like pulls the gun and it's a big dramatic reveal. Mm-hmm. The it's we're, it's it's interesting what you said about the imagination of it. Yeah. Um, because that's what I feel like I am, might gravitate towards is something like an animated bringing like this knowledge of the film industry that I've been gathering at SCAD mm-hmm. to bring that to something animated. I'm considering how my original comics were kind of like storyboards. Yeah. I'm reconsidering that possibility as something I could do. Uh, the, the character design work that is an animated, that's an animated show Yeah, that they're hoping to pitch. And if I believe my project Millennium Project? I don't know what it's called. There's there's like a... While you're finishing your thesis mm-hmm. in, in your final class... I don't know what that noise was. 
um, you're supposed to be working on some other things. So when your thesis, when hopefully if your thesis gets into festivals <laughs> and people like it and they talk to you and they say, hey, what's next? You have something next. Okay. I'm hoping to create like an animatic for them to get some voice actors together and to make something like that. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, that's that imagination. That's why Grip Gaffer is a bit ambitious in terms of a thesis film, I think. Yeah. Because I had to go back to that original draft I wrote for Rosen's class, like with no budget in mind, just I needed a script for tomorrow and I'm, I I have Grip Gaffer, let's go. Mm-hmm. Um, like the villain in Grip <laughs> Gaffer, the stinger, yeah. uh, they were in the first version. Mm-hmm. They were not in the middle versions. I had... At one point, I had, like, an evil producer who was, like, stealing the money of the film. Okay. Um, which I guess kind of came back into it with the Stinger, like, having... The Stinger, like, having a ransom note. Um, but it's something that I had to... I, I was in the middle of that pre-production class, and I turned in a script, and I basically just got the note, like, it's not ready. Mm. Like, I know we're moving on to, like, locations and scheduling and budget, which sucks because you have to work make all that stuff off of the script but you need another version of the script yeah and i had to go back to that original version and and see like some of that imagination was there and be like no i've I've lost this aspect i need to bring it back somehow Mm -hmm. um and that's why i am doing this this bigger project because i think it takes that level of weird imagination Mm -hmm. um i could have chosen to come back to scad after being at home while the virus i guess starts to ravage the country because it's worse now Mm -hmm. um thanks us um but uh we basically when we we showed up we got the option like hey maybe consider rewriting all of your scripts for like a plan b something like super simple super achievable Mm -hmm. and in my head i'm like i don't I don't know when I'm gonna get the chance to make something like Grip Gaffer again. Yeah. I feel like if I back off that idea now, I might not get the chance again. And and I didn't in my undergrad I didn't do <laughs> audio. In my undergrad I didn't do a thesis film. Okay. That Wait, was you didn't have a, you didn't have like a capstone or anything? I I mean I had like a final class, mm-hmm. but then on top of that, there was a thesis class. And that, that was the difference between the BA and the BFA. Okay, what did you get? I, what did I get? Yeah, did you get a BFA or BFA? I got a BA. Okay. I, I was thinking like, like grades? Like, I don't know, I, I think I got A's. I, I mean, know. damn, what hit you with that? The, um, <laughs> yeah, I, got, I went with the BA. I did not have an idea. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what I would make for a thesis. And I was wandering around SCAD with that same thought. Meanwhile, Grip Gaffer was like dancing around shooting gaff tape in the back of my skull. Like, <laughs> bro, it's me, dude. You have to you have to do this. Pick me, pick me, please. There's Ex- no one else here. Fuck exactly. Me. So I came to SCAD with the intent of getting an MA. Mm-hmm. And just like undergrad, I hit the end of that degree and I basically had to make my decision. Do I want to do an MA final project? Or continue learning a little bit more. Mm. Um, continue getting a couple of electives uh, for animation and motion media. I haven't taken an animation one yet. Uh, pandemic, things happen. Yeah, it should happen. I took some in motion media and in storyboarding. Oh, trying cool. to get back into the groove of that. Um, and maybe this time, I do the thesis. 
I, mm. I, I chose not to do it the first time, and I feel like that was a mistake. So now here I am. Mm. That's crazy. <laughs> That's very interesting. Um, a decision like that, right, mm-hmm. at least on some level, uh, I think comes from a place of like confidence in like what you're doing. Right, maybe not like Rocky Three. I just ran up yeah. the mountain, about to go fight Clubber Lang. Confidence. I don't think I have that level of Rocky Three confidence. Right. Well, that's like, oh, damn. That's Rocky Four. Rocky Three. He was running on the beach with Apollo Creed. Anyway, but there's something. One of the Rockies. Yeah. There's 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 always like there's like like you said like Rip Gaffers dancing in the back of your head, mm-hmm. and then eventually you acknowledge him. And he's like, oh fuck yeah. He's like, finally, dude. <laughs> and then you sit down, and he's kind of like, okay, we can do this, we can do that, but where. Did you find the confidence or what made you come to that decision? Like, you know what? This idea is good enough that I feel like it's worthy of the investment. I think, hmm, that's a good question. That might be a situation where it's like subconscious still. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's because like when I wrote that script, when I wrote that first version of the Grip Gaffer script, Mm -hmm. The and it was just on a whim. I needed a script, and it was what I felt when we read it. Mm-hmm. When we we put voices to a page, and and there there was an energy in the room. I, I feel like I'm getting like like mystical here. Oh, like, trust me, this is not nearly as mystical as we got in. This oh page, yeah, bro, we've gotten wild. Oh nice. We'll 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 cast some spells later. Mm. The um, I I think it was just like. Yeah, this is like an idea I enjoy, mm. and I think, and I would like like to make into a reality. And and sometimes, like an undergrad, I don't have an idea come to me. Mm-hmm. And I think in that moment was not only did the idea already come to me, but I've I've been on the path to making it mm-hmm. haphazardly this whole time. That's crazy. And if if I were to have to create the plan B and tell a completely different story. I'm not sure what that would be. I mean, I have mm-hmm. scripts, but it's just like it would it would definitely be something where like, yeah, I I made this because I need to graduate SCAD. Yeah, and you don't want to go out like that. Exactly. And that's probably where some of that confidence actually came from. Fact. Is a lot of my projects I get into my head that it's a, it's a it's a film project. Mm-hmm. This is being made for a grade mm-hmm. for for Professor Kinney, mm-hmm. for Professor Quinn O'Rear to look at it mm-hmm. and, and to give me a grade and then I move on with my life. Yeah. And I, I think I was starting to get sick of that. Mm-hmm. I was starting to get sick of that mindset which I was imposing on myself. Yeah, because in your projects they almost feel like they don't carry any weight or meaning. Exactly. And it's just like, yeah, I upload it to Vimeo and, mm-hmm. and there we go. Yeah. So that's why I was like, okay, like let's let's go bigger this time. Let's Let's tell something that if I did end up going with that plan B and or in that alternate timeline where Kirby and I were in the same class and we teamed up, I would still try to tell Grip Gaffer in some way. Mm. The um, If we get pandemic and SCAD is like, you know what? Like, no, no more school. Like, we're done. Yeah. You wanted a degree? Eh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I would still like, maybe that's because I have animation experience like mm-hmm. that is a potential outlet I could tell Rip Gaffer in some way mm. uh, because it's like that that comic-y nature even though I wasn't like 
directly yeah. attached to comics. Um, it's a superhero film, yeah. and I watch a lot of superhero films. Mm-hmm. The, they're very prevalent nowadays. Yeah, they're everywhere. Uh, yeah, they're uh, they're around. Um, yeah, maybe the, not this year, same as other movies. Well, you but got the, you got the Pokemon, you got the Milans, and you got the the lion the lion emperors. They're, they're pretty good. The lion emperors. <laughs> yes, yes. The, it is the ruler cat. Yeah. It is a musical on Broadway and now a film. Ooh. I lost my train of thought there, but me too. I'm sorry. No, it's it's fine. I th- I think ultimately it was uh, just. I feel something. Yeah. I feel something when I make this, and it's it's um. You want to be proud of it. Yeah. That's my boy. So, sometimes in in the animations I do, um, most animations I pull audio from the Game Grumps YouTube channel. <laughs> the be they joke around, they say something goofy, and I'm like, I can make something out of that, and mm-hmm. maybe like alter it somehow and add like. Oh, they're joking about like some like terrifying situation happening right here. I'll, I'll throw in some like dramatic music below to like emphasize the mood. Or, or the one I did over quarantine was like about a nightmare. Okay. One of them had. So I like I drew the dreamscape in like a completely different style, and I had like sound design going. So it's like, oh yeah, we're at the side of the road. We were we were at McDonald's for a okay. while, and I'm like, okay, well, now I obviously need to get like some some like generic room tone from what would sound like was a McDonald's and it's not something I have to do, but it's like, there's the idea and I'm running with it. Okay. Uh, and I think that, I think that's it. I think it's like, like, Ooh, I like this idea. I got to run with it. Mm -hmm. And before like I doubt myself before I decide like, is this a funny joke? Mm -hmm. Like, and that's the thing with comedy. You don't know, like you you, you mentioned earlier and it's, if you're like, oh, I have this joke, and you have it sitting on the table, and you like a couple, you leave it there for a couple weeks, and you're like, oh, should I use that joke somewhere? I don't know. Like, do people really think it's funny? Because yeah. you look at it and you're like, oh, I don't think it's funny anymore because it's it came in my brain right. and I, I laughed at it and it was a week ago. Yeah. And I've moved on. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the that's the biggest struggle, I think, in this thesis film is that. You have to take the time. Facts. That's it's interesting you bring that up. So like writing comedy for stand up versus writing comedy in like film form mm. was super weird for me because when I moved to Atlanta, I hadn't been. As in fact, when I moved to Atlanta, I had been rejected by Scat the first time. Oh, okay. So I moved here because I was like, I can't do Kansas anymore, and I got to make it fucking happen. So I was doing stand up. At that point, I've been doing stand up for about three years. And what I like about stand-up is you write a joke, then you go do it. Mm-hmm. It either works or it doesn't. And then based upon how it feels on stage and how the audiences respond, you decide whether this is worth pursuing or dropping. Mm-hmm. But when you write it for a film, you write it, you think it's funny, but then you got to go through like the table read. And mm-hmm. then it's like there are different levels of table reads. There's like the uninspired, like, ah, oh, see Exactly, and it's like okay. Well, I, I mean, like I need a I need a woman to read this part, yeah. and and it's so and so, and she's not into it, and very speaks in a monotone voice, so it, the energy is drained. But. Yeah, that's the, that was the weirdest part about it. But I feel like with comedy, uh, I think comedy comes from your balls. Okay, that's a very bro thing to say. You gotta go with your balls, bro. Yeah, your balls never lie, dude. 
So I got my bro, three kids in there. Hey, bro, you got any balls in there? That's where the comedy comes from. That's where the fuck comedy comes from, bro. Yeah. Go from your balls. Go, go, go grab the balls from the other room. I think the comedy's in there. All right. Bring back some basketballs. Big balls. Hold yeah. the comedy. But I, I think it, it, it honestly comes from, like, you. Right? It's not you mm-hmm. trying to impersonate somebody. It's not you trying to be like someone else or to, to copy. It's like, what do you actually think? Those, yeah. are the, those are the bits that have always worked for me, both writing for film and doing stand-up. It's like... Just be real. What do you actually think about this, right? Because mm-hmm. I think people are genuinely looking for um, original and authentic voices. Mm. But I also think it's, your scenario is interesting, too, because you live with your DP. Yeah. Right? And I, th- <laughs> like, honestly, I think that's the way to do a fucking thesis. Because outside, outside of your producers, right, mm-hmm. your DP is, like, the second most important person. Because they have to translate the images in your head into proper usable shots. Yeah. Right. And and coming from some sort of animation background, that the visual is important. Yeah. Like, like I feel like that's uh, that's a key factor when I when I write something. I, I want to know like what it looks like. I have that in my head at least subconsciously. Yeah. And it's great to have him like th- through a door. Yeah, and it'd be like I, I can like open the door to the living room and be like, oh hey, what do you, what do you think about this? And he'll be like, no, no, that's a bad idea. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, <laughs> me, meanwhile, like, like in a, in an in an alternate world where we did not live together, mm-hmm. um, I would text him, and I don't know, maybe he's on set or maybe he's he's doing something else. He's busy. Or maybe you get lost in translation. Exactly. Like, I guarantee you've had those moments. Where you open the door and you go, you remember that one movie came out in '96? Ah, I had Lucy Liu. Ah, what was it? Right. And then you're able to narrow it down and have a conversation from there. There's no fucking way you would text that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's hard to write that. And then yeah. there's like, and that's probably another reason why I'm not great at texting uh, when it comes to people I care about and want to talk to, like across state lines. Be like, I don't, I, can, can we just like talk? <laughs> like, yeah, can I just, because it's weird text to just, hey, and then they're like, hey, you're like, how you doing? Good. I'm good. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure some... Thumbs up. No more talking. Exactly. And I'm sure some people do that. Mm-hmm. And it works for them. For me, I'm just like, I don't have like a thing to talk about. I'm just yeah. like, that's my friend. Yeah. Anyways, we'll talk at some point. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. So, mm-hmm. what, what makes you want to do this, right? Film or my or or grip gaffer in general, like being an I guess we define what an artist is, and that's you. <laughs> you're an artist. You draw. You are creative. You think. You have these ideas. You're you're collaborative. What makes you want to do this instead of like saying, you know what, I I really want to be a lumberjack, or I want to start over and and, and and start a new life. What makes you stay around? What makes you want to be a filmmaker? What makes you want to do grip gaffer? Where, where do you get your balls from, son? I think I think it's it's back to the feeling. I think and something I notice in in making those animations, animation takes time. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, film is complicated. I have to get permits to film on the moon. Like I have to call NASA. I don't. You can't just call like you can't just call Tim NASA or I don't know who's in charge. <laughs> I, th- I think I pulled. I think that's I think that's Tim. I think I just pulled Tim Apple 
<laughs> with Tim Nasa. Hey, is Tim Nasa in a day? Hold up. Let's yeah. see if he's in his office. Is Tim here? Yeah, can I have an appointment? Oh, no. I'm just some random Ooh. guy. Okay. Who is it? It's Evan. Oh, Evan. <laughs> exactly. Of course. You're, you're the only Evan in the world. I know Holy you. Holy shit. The fuck? Tim Nasa. The, um... Yes, there's there's complications when it comes to making a film, and there there's collaboration, and you have to communicate what you want to these people, and and hopefully it comes out in in the way that you originally envisioned, and sometimes it doesn't. Mm-hmm. The um, animation, the time is like, oh, I have to draw this this Chinese myth dragon, yeah, and like I know I want it to like like go through the clouds and like make a circle motion in the moon. I'm like, oh, how am I gonna do that's gonna take time. How am I gonna do that? Like that's <laughs> that's a whole undertaking. Yeah. Um it's but when I get close to the end, mm. when when I can feel that like this is almost a thing. Like I made this. It, mm-hmm. it it's it exists in a completed capacity because I put the time in. I think that's what I what I'm called for i don't i don't know it, it's it, it's something that speaks to me mm. similarly in undergrad when i edit there was one project i did that was it was an editing project that no one else wanted to do mm-hmm. and the reason why was because they it was a music video they recorded someone playing a song like on a lake front and then after that they went and recorded the official studio version mm-hmm. and it was not the same damn they're like the pacing was slightly different in some places they like did different like flares in different Mm -hmm. positions and i had to edit almost frame by frame i'm not a musician (laughs) um what this what this guy is playing into the studio version of the song Mm. it it and i had to like i put everything together and i had to meet with the musician and be like hey i don't know how a guitar works this is this motion you're doing here that's that sound right mm-hmm. or like do i need to shift it back a, me- a measure um <laughs> i don't know um but it was a job that i got done and it's a job that i i put in my like resume or cover letter or whatever because it's a tedious job but as someone who's worked in animation i'm familiar with that and i'm willing to do that work if it you see it come together in some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in hindsight, I can watch that video and be like, man, I don't know if I would know that this was this was different. And it's like a feeling I get from that. Yeah. And then there are also projects I look back on and I'm like, oh, wow, like what, why didn't we just hire some extras? Yeah. Like the shot looks so weird and it's clearly like <laughs> a film I made in undergrad with yeah. like a couple of close friends. We could have just hired some extras and it would have been, it's that much better. Oh, bro, that's the beauty of hindsight, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's one of the things that made me um, gravitate towards your projects. When Natasha asked mm-hmm. me if I wanted to help out, I was like, okay, well, let's see a script. And I read it, and I'm like, son of a bitch, he did it. That's. I think that's what Christian said as well. I was like, son of a bitch. Yes, a hundred times yes. He's here. So, like, one of the things that, you know, I'm not... I don't know, I'm not a fucking aficionado of art. I'm not. I'm just. Mm-hmm. I'm literally a bro who also <laughs> can use fancy words from time to time. That's how I view myself. One thing I noticed about a lot of the um, thesis films that I would work on mm-hmm. is they were always fucking sad. Like mom had just been hit by a bus and mm-hmm. dad had just been murdered by a cow, and now Stephen has to walk to Minnesota, 
right? So there was always like a lot of death and grief and processing and oh, we're deep, right? Mm. And I was like, dude, where are the fucking comedies? Because like the reality of it is, like, dude, you're 25 years old. You know what I'm saying? I I know you did ecstasy last week. Your your weekend, your life isn't that bad. You know, now sometimes there are, there is the person who is going to tell that story, mm-hmm. and it's, it's honest. But I almost felt like we a lot of a lot of, and this isn't any disrespect to anybody, of course. Mm-hmm. But I'm always like, dude, when's somebody going to do something funny, <laughs> right? So like your thesis and like Darius's thesis for and Mahalia's thesis for the writing comedies, I'm like, fucking. Thank you. God damn it. <laughs> and I, I, th- I feel like, in a way, it's hard. As a person who doesn't know how to write a drama mm-hmm. and prefers to stay in the realm of comedy, I feel like, overall, it's harder to write a comedy. And I don't, I, I don't mean to be like, oh, it's harder to do this thing no, that say, I prefer say to do. No, say it with your chest. It's harder to write a comedy. But I feel like, <laughs> I feel like it's like you said. It's, it's you're writing a joke, and hopefully it lands. And yeah. that takes that takes something like i feel like you could write a sad story and it's it's easier to miss yeah like uh the sad equivalent of a joke yeah um it's if you miss a joke in a comedy you you got it you better have another joke yeah that's the thing about comedy is like there's always more coming Mm -hmm. right but in a drama if you don't hit the big dramatic moment from that point on, everyone's like, this is cheesy. And mm-hmm. there's such a thin line for for nailing it and failing that once you go, like, there's, it's usually in the middle of the movie where it's the defining part where you're either on board or not. And if you lose them there, God help you. I wonder if it connects to, like, the films we see. Mm. Now, I mean, like, so we as film people, we're watching... Probably more artsy films than the average film goer. I watch I watch a lot of bro shit. So do I. Ton of bro shit. I, I'm. I, I'd, in general, yeah. most most film people are watching things like Uncut Gems or, or The Lighthouse. Lops, the Lobster. I, that's one I haven't watched. Parasite. I really enjoyed. Um, I bring up Uncut Gems because it's, in my opinion, it's, it's anxiety. The film. Do fuck that movie. I'll never watch it again. It's. I watched that right at the beginning of the pandemic, so my anxiety oh, was already no. here. And then I watched that, and it was just over the top. I'm like, why the fuck? See, I watched Lighthouse, which is about cabin fever and not being able to see other human beings. Duh, we watched that too. You know what's fucked up? We watched that back to back. So first night we watched Uncut Gems, mm. and the next night we watched Lighthouse. That weekend mm. I was fucked. It's not great. <laughs> but like, so, so what I'm trying to say is, it's. I wonder if people who watch a lot of movies, who are able to enjoy these really artsy films, see, you don't have like really artsy comedies, I think. You have really artsy, dramatic stories. Unless they're British. British comedies are very artsy, but they're also very dry. That's true. And, and so I feel like when you pull up a comedy, mm-hmm. you might think of, not to diss on Adam Sandler, yeah. but you you wouldn't compare, it, it's a complete, it's a different ball game for, mm-hmm. for a comedy. You see, you frequently see comedies more in like kids shows because kids don't want to just watch something like grim and dis. Kids don't want to watch Drive. <laughs> though i will say <laughs> though i will say it's so fucking true <laughs> when when we watched were you with us were you with us when we watched the joker uh i was not <laughs> the person next to me brought their like 11 year old daughter 
Oh God! And it's like that; those don't connect. Like, like kids, you don't know. She might be one of them artsy chicks. Yeah, maybe she really likes uh, deep psychological examinations of a clown she, man. Hey, man, fuck it. She might. You, look, let me th- let me tell you something about kids these days, right? Mm-hmm. Kids these days. So remember when we were growing up, and your parents somewhat had a little bit of control of the. The flow the media. Of, well, no, just the flow there's, of information in general. I'll get some water from that voice crack or whatever that was. So, like, they could control, like, they could set parental guides on the TV. They mm-hmm. could, like, take sections out of the newspaper. There was no social media. So, outside, like, the crazy shit your friends said, you know, they could kind of control it. Yeah. Nowadays, good fucking luck. Right. You give that kid an iPhone, they have access to all of the internet. Mm-hmm. Right? They got access to Urban Dictionary. Oh, my God. They can learn everything that they... 100%. That we haven't... It's unending. Dude. So, like, when it comes to kids now, I think these kids are way more aware than we were. I remember I was talking Mm. to my niece. My niece is, like, 15 years old. I remember when I was 15, I was like, pump iron, play football, uh, get girls. That was the plan in that (laughs) order. And I talked to her, and she's just like... She's talking like politics. She's like, I don't think the geopolitical situation in Sweden is most ideal for the agriculture in... It's, and, it's and, like, bro, what? And I'm like, well, how the fuck did you learn that? Fox News, I, I, I take online classes and I read all the news. I'm like, oh, shit. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so I think kids now might be a little more with the shits than before. Mm-hmm. But I definitely get where you're coming from. I feel like th- that's interesting because I feel like... On one hand, yes, we are seeing like kids be more aware of our global world and, and the problems that we're facing because it's being broadcast everywhere. Yeah, 24-7. Um, and I, when I was a kid, I was like, I don't know. Is SpongeBob on? Cool. <laughs> um, it's like, oh, I'm going to go home and I don't know. I guess I'll play Crash Bandicoot. Like Science. The, the um, At the same time, I don't know if I would trust my child brain with that knowledge. Mm. But on the other hand, I sometimes see like like oh, I wrote this when I was when I was 13. Mm-hmm. Uh like it like a, a school essay I wrote and I look at that and I'm like I wrote this? Can I like I don't think I would would I be able to write this now? <laughs> I have no idea. So it's I don't know. I I wonder if yeah, I mean, maybe they are. Um, more aware or maybe like we just underestimate ourselves because I I hope we've improved since so what I think it is is I think the what I like to say about the internet and social media and devices Mm -hmm. is they've done a good job at connecting us in our disconnectivity Mm. right so with like Facebook YouTube and Twitter and Google algorithms um they don't they show you a version of the world that is a mirror of you no, right? that's right and they also show you things that will get you to interact so if you're a person who's like a vegan right they'll mm-hmm. show you all the shit that's cool about veganism and they'll show you all the bad stuff that all the people who enjoy eating food do yeah right and I feel like especially with kids or, uh, or younger kids or kids who are just now getting into social because like kids are getting phones now like 8 years old they got iPhones mm-hmm. right I think what's interesting for them is they have a chance to explore new ideas on their own. Hmm. So, like, when I was growing up, I grew up in, like, um, the Adventist church, which was hilarious, because we'd get to things like sex education. Oh, boy. (laughs) 
Tell me how that was. Bro, we had this guy. I don't know what made him qualify to teach sex education. Hmm. Because he used to work security for, like, football teams. Okay. I don't know what makes him an expert. Hmm. But he came in... How often those footballers are doing things they shouldn't <laughs> so be doing? So he was like, he was like, man, I'd see these girls, and you you don't know what they do to get up to that room. They may have been through three or four people before they got to that bed. Nasty. And I'm like, what the fuck? What? Bro, excuse, who let you in here? <laughs> no, 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 no. So one of his demonstrations about STDs was we had lunch. Okay. Then he bought the trash can that we threw all the trash in. Puts it in the middle of the room. He's like, I need 10. I need 10 brothers up here right now. And there were only nine guys in oh, the room. Oh, boy. So we all got up, and five guys got gloves, and the other guys didn't. And he's like, put your hands in that trash and really get really get to moving around in there. Now pull your hands out. You brothers with the gloves, y'all all right. Hmm. Y'all brothers without it, look at your hand. You don't want that. And the first thought that came to my mind was, oh, my God. Was I in a gangbang? <laughs> oh, did we run a train? A why trash gangbang. Why did no one tell me this? What the fuck's going on? But I think you have a freer access to information and kids are, uh, I think, more curious about the world, right? Because for the majority mm-hmm. of your life, you know, you don't have control over your life to a degree, mm-hmm. right? So you don't get to choose what kind of socioeconomic standards your parents are uh, in. You don't get to choose your race. You don't get to choose your name. You don't get to choose what country you're born in. So for most of your life, everything is dictated to you. Hmm. But then, like, once you get become a teenager and you start to, you know, rebel and decide what you want to believe, mm-hmm. you now have freer sources of information, um, so on one hand, it could make you an individual, or on another, you could just end up in an echo chamber yelling about why um, you shouldn't eat beef. <laughs> I don't know why I'm coming down on vegans. Vegans are nice people. It's like, and I think that's the, the, the they want engagement. Mm-hmm. They want you, the viewer, to click their link. Yeah. So if they send you a, a link about veganism and you're a vegan, you're more likely to click that link. 100%. Um, and that's that's what they care about. And then meanwhile, like, we get echo chambered and maybe maybe these kids are getting echo chambered mm-hmm. but i i at least hope that in our in, in our current society where kids are growing up with the internet mm-hmm. um not that we didn't grow up with the internet but it might not have been as we like grew up prevalent with the, we did we grew up with like the infancy of the internet right yeah it so existed like, and we could use it but it wasn't like dependent on like it is no. today like you know what's crazy like remember when we had internet and you had like dial up so if anyone got on the phone, they would just hear that ear. Yeah, like the sound of a robot dying. Exactly. Breathing its last breath. And then it was just like commonly accepted that like anything you read online more than likely was a lie mm. or wasn't true. Because then we had like pop-ups and then like, well, the weirdest part was when uh, <laughs> when internet porn became a thing and like okay. Dateline was like running reports like my husband watches internet porn and he's, <gasps> and, oh, it's just, no. and it's like. Yeah, he was looking at Playboys before that. What the fuck did you think was going to happen? But um, the internet, there was no social media. And, like, the internet was different. Because as a kid, you basically went on there to play games and then probably read about his favorite sports team or whatever. Now Mm. you go on there to basically have a second life and to be the person that... And a lot lot of times the people on the internet project who they wish they were or who who they're pretending to be. And they're pretending like that's that person. That's like... I I think... I wonder, so I moved around 
of course. a lot. I, I lived in multiple states. Mm-hmm. Um, because my dad's, the company my dad worked for, um, he worked in agriculture, people got to eat everywhere. People <laughs> got to eat all over the globe. Yeah. Motherfuckers is hungry. So we, we went to Europe mm-hmm. uh, a couple of times. And I knew like he would like, oh, he has to go to Beijing for mm-hmm. a business meeting. I don't know if he did this before, but um, more recently he's had to make a lot of business business trips to Brazil. Mm. And, you know, as, as a kid, I'm like meeting like these people with, with different accents. And I absolutely um, mansplained what a dragon was to a man <laughs> from Asia. And, he, and he, he, I was a child and he was like, oh, like we don't, we don't really know what, <laughs> he was like, we don't really know what dragons look like. And I, I like, drew like the standard idea of what a dragon looked like. And I was like, that's what they look like. And we're like, okay. He's a child. He's figuring oh, it out. Oh, fuck me. I had to mansplain what a dragon <laughs> was. But it was like, um, I wonder if now, because of the internet, because we're able to like, I don't know, like I can go to YouTube and type in K-pop. Yeah. I, I could go to YouTube. I could go online and read about like the parliament in Australia. I don't know if they have a parliament. I don't know. I don't know about their governing system, but you know what you said. So in reality, it's true because this is on the internet, and nothing on the internet is a lie. Science. There you go. <laughs> so it's like I wonder if that. So it's like I wonder if I think I've used that multiple times <laughs> yeah. today. Um, they, there might be a, a better understanding of the global world. Yeah. Where I feel like even as a person who traveled to some of these these con- countries and and met different people uh knew my dad was going to even further places the um i don't know i, I lived in america yeah like, i saw america and i i my parents like oh yeah they they know what's going on there <laughs> i i know everything they know everything yes but the bringers of knowledge and food it, it's a it's a small and big world and that there's different ideas and mm-hmm. ideologies out there and we're all just humans trying to live our lives i, I wonder if these kids have because of the internet have a stronger sense of things that are happening overseas um Mm -hmm. people that are living their lives overseas and will think of the world more in that term Mm -hmm. right i feel like we're kind of uh the last generation that had that the time before that yeah before like we were made more aware of all these things that are going on in the world and before the news was like hey we get good ratings if we talk about like the insane amount of earthquakes in in Russia and how cities might be destroyed. And yeah. we're on our couches in Illinois, like, oh my god, <laughs> those poor the people. world. The world is coming to an end. It's happening. Oh my god, Linda, get the get 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 the go bag ready. World's ending. <laughs> I heard footsteps bef- a little bit before that, so I was like, I don't know who Linda is. Is she in here? <laughs> Dog, um, that is that's extremely true. So. With you, what I think I, one thing I think is interesting, um, and a lot of people I've brought on to the podcast have mm-hmm. been people who have done an extensive amount of traveling or have moved a lot. Hmm. Um, and I think those people are the most interesting because one of the things is in, that I find fascinating about Americans or people who don't travel a lot mm-hmm. is when you live in a certain region. So, for instance, um, if you live in fucking Kansas, right, where, yeah. I'm, where I'm from, right? You're familiar with the four corners of Kansas. You're familiar mm-hmm. with Topeka, Kansas City. You know your whole world view 
revolves around Kansas, mm-hmm. right? Um, but when those people fucking decide to go, like, oh, one day I'm going to go to Japan, right? They get on a plane. They fly, they fly like, 15 hours that way, and they <laughs> land. They land in, like, Nagasaki or Tokyo, and they get out of the plane, and they're like, you guys look different. You guys talk different. You guys measure shit wrong. You guys drive on the wrong side of the road. You guys are different. Do they drive on the left side of the road? In, in it's the Japan? wrong side. It's the wrong side. What, is, is it? Is it the opposite of what we do here? It's the wrong side of what we do here, son. I'm telling you. I did not know that. Very wrong. Uh, metric system, stupid as fuck. But they get out, and their their whole worldview has revolved around this one place, so that they they basically have never considered the fact that somewhere else in the world. They have built systems and operations that are similar to ours, but just enough different to make you the weirdo. Interesting. Yeah, it's like, I don't know. I When my, my parents talked a bit about kind of the political climate of their childhood mm-hmm. a while back, and this is when I was, was staying with them over the pandemic, and we could watch the news and be upset about things that are happening, but... They were instilled with a strong fear of like communism and socialism and, and all that. So my mom told me when she got off the bus from coming home from school, she would have to walk like a little bit more to get to the house. And she told me about people like would like dodge and duck from tree to tree on the chances that maybe there's a communist like who's gonna snipe us here. And what? Which but like as a kid, if you hear about like this this stuff in the news, yeah. <laughs> um, I in my, in my mind I'm like, that's, I I would not consider that because my my mom and her family grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. Mm-hmm. My brain wouldn't go to, oh they're gonna go here obviously <laughs> they're they're gonna, they're gonna go I I don't know like major major population area maybe. Majorly populated areas like yeah. New, York New York or, or Atlanta. Yeah. Um, so it's just it's, it's interesting to see like where your your where you live can sometimes be your whole world. Yeah. And I think that's why that that friend of mine who stayed in North Carolina in that one school, knowing pretty much the same people mm-hmm. for eighteen years, was like, I have to go, I have to get out of here. That's exactly what that is. And and then I'm like, hey. I met you like a month ago, and we're friends. Mm-hmm. That's that's how it works in in my brain, dude. That was one of the biggest factors in me um, moving and doing my own thing. Was uh, when I was uh, I went to an HBCU in Huntsville, Alabama. So in the summer, I'd come back and I'd get to hang out with all my friends. You know, do whatever the fuck we were gonna do. You know, dick around, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'd leave and I'd come back. And I noticed that every time I came back. Um, Everyone was kind of in the same place, hmm. right? So I we'd hang out and you know you partying or whatever, and he's like, and one of your friends is like, you know, I'm gonna do this next year. I'm in this class. And you're like, bet. So you leave and you come back like you've done it, and they're just like, oh no, well you know I'll, I'll do it next year. Mm-hmm. So after I graduated from undergrad, I stayed home for two years, and it was dope because I love hanging out with my family. Mm-hmm. But what I didn't like was, I think comfort is the enemy of success. Yeah, I, right. I, I can see that. And, um, you know, I don't, I'm not, once again, this isn't like a judgment against anyone, right? Mm-hmm. But I think sometimes, especially when you're younger, right? 
um, you're a, a lot of times in your life you're told to seek comfort. So like in the fifties, it was like get a job and then start a family, mm-hmm. and then you're done, America. You're good. But uh, as as time has went on, people are like, I'm not I'm not satisfied with that, right? And in the Midwest, an interesting attitude is like in the Midwest, people are incredibly hard workers, right? Mm-hmm. And they don't like to be labeled quitters. So they'll get a job that they hate, but pays the mortgage or pays the bills. And they'll work that bitch for 20, 30 years, fucking hating it, mm-hmm. right? But they don't want to be a quitter. Um, and I was, I was working in a warehouse at the time, and I'm looking around, and I'm like, this is cool. You know, I got some folding money, got some walking around money. I'm single. I can do what I want, but it's not fulfilling me. And there's mm-hmm. always this small window of opportunity. Where you go, you don't have any kids, you don't have any felonies, you got a clean driving record, you got good insurance, your credit's all right, jump. Mm-hmm. You can jump now, or you can regret it forever. And in those moments, you, and it's, it's not a, 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 not a like edging kind of deal, like, oh, what's over the edge? No, you got to fucking leap. It's a leap of faith. And I feel like when you do those things and you make those leaps and you take that time, um, that's where you know, true growth comes from. That's where you figure out who you are and that's where you establish your worldview and hopefully you don't get a felony in, in, in between. Yeah. <laughs> so something, something interesting I noticed, um, put that away. I was getting called for a hot sec there. Um, something interesting that I've noticed is I attribute growth to location now because I moved around so much, mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, like in Idaho, this is who I was, and th- these are the kind of things I did. In North Carolina, when I was in high school, these are the things I did. And in college, also in North Carolina, that these were my, my hobbies and the things I was working on. Mm-hmm. So part of me, when I come to SCAD, mm-hmm. and think like, oh, there's something I want to do, mm-hmm. I always think of that like after SCAD. I think this is the chunk I'm in, and then like this thing I want to do that's part of the next wave, the next location. Are you worried about the silence? The silence? Yes. So the silence is right now you're busy as fuck. You got the thesis going on. You 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 might be mm. up to other people. You're getting shit done. You know you have a purpose. You got a class. You get you you're looking towards the next quarter. When you graduate, that all kind of comes to an end. Mm. And then there's the silence. That. I don't think it was a, a worry of the silence. I think it's just that, like, I expect... I'm living in my current place, mm-hmm. and it shows that I have moved a bunch and traveled a bunch when I keep, like, my toothbrush and toothpaste and, like, all the stuff in the travel bag. I, I just put I just put the travel bag in the drawer. Science. Um, and I frequently, when I say go home, here that means go back to North Carolina to visit family. Mm-hmm. I'll say go home over there, meaning come back to Atlanta. So it's just like I, in my head, I'm always shifting places and I don't know. It's, I see that as moving in a new place as like, uh, I don't know, like the, the poetic equivalent of, you know, it's in the movies when like someone with really long hair cuts their hair and it's like, it's time, it's the big change. Yeah. Um, which is also upsetting because a, I stuck around for, I, I, a, I didn't take the full course load mm-hmm. all the time because my first semester, one of my professors was very, uh, I mean, he kicked my ass. Like I, I, I had to put 90% of my time and energy into that and the other 10% went to my second class. Mm-hmm. And that's just how SCAD organized it. They only gave me two out of three. Mm-hmm. Um, and that happened and I'm like, I don't think I'm gonna take three because I saw what 
happened, I deal with it systematically. Like yeah. I deal with the work of one class and then the other, and one was more intensive. So mm-hmm. A, I wasn't taking the full course load, so I was staying longer. Mm-hmm. B, I chose to do the full MFA and mm-hmm. stay longer. And C, we got pandemicked, mm-hmm. closing the school for like six months or something. Still closed. Uh, at least like physically. Um, they're opening in some capacity in the winter, which well, I Well, yeah, they have like with. some like classes on, on campus, but as far as like the film classes, Mm-mm. there's none. So I'm like, I've been in this one spot for a while and I'm like, I need to instigate and, and start doing stuff. And, mm-hmm. but I'm in the middle of thesis, which is eating away a lot of my free time. So that's a, that's a thing that's bugging me. But hopefully once I, I know I'm saying the thing that you mentioned, like people are in the same place, but it's a situation of like, oh, once I get through like this tough patch, then I'll then I'll do this. But we mm-hmm. never get out of the tough patch. But like the difference with you and to some degree me mm-hmm. is like you're here because you chose to be here. Hmm. Right. So you okay. chose to go to SCAD. You chose to be an MFA. You chose to write Grip Gaffer. So that's true. Like these are decisions that you're making and you're taking accountability for them and you're actually putting forth effort, right? Hmm. So one of the biggest things that separates successful people from unsuccessful people is unsuccessful people will constantly be telling you what they want to change and achieve, but will never put forth action. Action is the biggest difference between success and failure, right? Hmm. And even then, action isn't enough to guarantee success because once you in, 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 in endeavor to go onto a path, right, the potential for failure is always there. In my mind, it's 95-5, right? There's a 95% chance I will succeed, but there's a 5% chance I will fail. And you have to go into life knowing that. And another thing that is important is if you do fail, what can you get from it? Because success only teaches you what you've done right. Failure points out all of your weaknesses. And there will be way, way, way more failures than there are ever successes. Mm -hmm. But the highs and the lows balance themselves out. And I feel like that's a specific mindset you have to cultivate. And a specific understanding you have to come to that I am okay that doing this might mean failure. And in cases, it could be small failure. And in other cases, it could be complete failure, right? Mm-hmm. Like you could flunk out of school. You could like, you know, if you're a soldier, you could die, right? Yeah. But there's something to moving because you want to rather than being told to that I think grants you true freedom. Hmm. I can see that. So I think... From that, my true enemy is time itself, and that, and that there are That's, too many things I want to do. That is the enemy of everyone, bro. Mm-hmm. Right, like, I have I have achieved the human experience. I one of my biggest pet peeves in life mm-hmm. is when um, people don't move with a sense of purpose. It truly annoys me. Oh, like uh, No Country for Old Men. Yes, like. I believe that we're all in debt. Mm-hmm. Everyone. Even if you're not in debt, like you don't owe anyone money, you are still in debt because somebody gave for you to be in this position. Mm. Right? So just on a human level, your parents sacrificed to have you and been sure that you had a good life. And not even everyone is guaranteed to that. So if you did, you're blessed. If you had a tremendous family or support system that helped you through like goals and tasks in life, you're blessed. And I feel like 
um, as an individual, it is important to take these things that others have given to you, mm-hmm. use them wisely because one day it will be expected of you to give that to someone else, whether it be your offspring or someone you're trying to help. So I believe that every day you wake up owing life and that you have to go earn that day. So you have to go, you literally, in my mind, you have to earn sleep. You got to earn that shit, bro. Like you have to go out and you got to make moves. Like, you know, and I'm not talking like, oh, I'm going to go out and buy Jupiter today. Nah. Buy Jupiter? But, you know, that's a baller ass move. I'd buy it if it was available. Yeah. But like you got to take like, like, so with Grip Gaffer, right? Every single day now the campaign has started, Mm -hmm. you know, get on a social media and get that thing going. Talk to family members, you know, uh, can I talk to the crew? Can we have meetings? How can we make this thing a reality, bro? And those small steps every single day that, because in my mind, set is a safe place. Once we've made it to set, great. I'm glad you think that. Uh, From my mind, it's once we get into the edit. Mm. And maybe that's me, like, with that mindset of, like, anything that can go wrong, can go wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And... I just because I I know that I've seen instances where oh we we spent three hours on the shot that we needed to get in one yeah and then you have to start sacrificing and I feel like I have polished grip gaffer to the point where there's not much I can lose without getting rid of something yeah, that something I, I think is is crucial to the the atmosphere or the character mm. or my vision which again sometimes gets a compromise revision of course um i am of the mindset that if we don't get something when we film i'm I'm gonna have to figure out how to afford another day and, and make it happen dog and i feel like one of the things that sucks because ever since i've started producing i've never had an easy shoot it's always been some bullshit it's either been like mm. equipment or a location and i feel like now because of covid now they're they're kind of I don't want to say the school is hamstringing people, but they they are expecting the same level of quality from previous years with um, all the caveats of the new year. Yes. And with mm-hmm. a lot of limitations. So you want us to produce like people did before COVID, but you're not allowing us to have extra days, mm-hmm. extra hands, equipment we may need. And it's, it's adding another strain. And to one end, you know, my mind is this is a, this is a what's up, dog? Oh. Yeah, she does that. We have a doggo. Hi. Hello. Hi, friend. Hello, beast. Get all those snorts in the microphone. That's the tail uh, slapping against the chairs in the wall as she runs around. Hi. Give me one second. You got it. Oh, are you okay? Oh, my God. She put her head, like, under the armrest no, and got herself stuck and was whining. She's, like, an attention. Hi. Hello. Come on. She she just bashed her snout against the side of the door. That's awful. She's so energetic. Dude, having a puppy is like having a fucking toddler, which lets me know I am Mm -hmm. no way ready for kids. Yeah. Oh, gotta love the dog. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She's a pit bull lab mix. She's very energetic. Mm. I'll I'll add a picture on the Instagram so y'all can like it. What the fuck were we talking about? I don't know. A dog came in and it was like, dog. Fuck. What were we talking about? That's a good question. Um, 
damn it. What were we talking about? I had a thought if we uh, can't get back to... Get, drop your thought. I hope it didn't end somewhere. What? So we were, we were thinking about like being indebted to the day and being indebted to time. Yeah. And we, all have, we all have a limited amount of time mm-hmm. on this world. And something my friend Sam and I have talked about occasionally is... My, he's like way into time travel. So Like how deep? Like he actually like... He has a phrase okay. in his head that only he knows both parts of. <laughs> I don't I don't know when he did this. I don't know when he did this. Okay. In in his uh in his years. But the the purpose was that if someone shows up looking like him claiming to be him from the future, they would know the phrase. So he's deep in the murky waters. He likes time travel. Um <laughs> we I, I texted him first. Uh, I watched I watched the Terminator movies over the quarantine. I had not seen them before. Any of them? Uh, the first two I hadn't seen before. I had seen some, but they were the the awful. Whoa, 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 whoa! whoa. Mm-hmm. You hadn't seen Terminator one and two? No. What did you think? I I really enjoyed those. I think I prefer the second one All over right. the first one. And he, he, my friend Sam, has told me that. He thinks that's one of the greatest sequels of all time. It is arguably the greatest sequel of all and time. And I can see exactly why you both would say that. Just because it like it, it takes the idea of the first one, spins it in a new direction, while, while it's like the perfect amount. It, it would exist in the world, but it's not straying in some far off direction. What ruins this Terminator 2 mm-hmm. is the fact that they tried to make other sequels after it. Mm-hmm. Right, because then Terminator Two feels like, oh, well, that's where it started to go downhill. No, that was the pinnacle. Yeah, and that was, you know, we're going on a big aside here, but I got to get this off my chest. <laughs> Terminator Two is an example of a time in Hollywood where they were okay with ending stories. Hmm. Now stories can't have an end. That they want the option to make exactly. More. So you look at like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and like, yes, it's incredible to see what they've done. But because of that, audiences are craving finality. Right? Yeah. I think that's probably why Endgame was so strong. Exactly. It was a finale. They're continuing it. But but here's the thing. That is, in my opinion, Endgame mm-hmm. is the peak of what comic book movies can be. You mm-hmm. can never get bigger than that. At I don't least... think we can have an Endgame 2. Exactly. Maybe, maybe a, that's the kind of movie that it's going to take maybe two or three generations to mm-hmm. get to that level again. Um, but even like look at the Fast and the Furious movies they're like what like 9 or 10 and there's like spinoffs and And Hobbs and Shaw but here's the thing that went from Street Racers in LA to Secret Agents at Mm -hmm. this point it's basically a telenovela yeah it's getting wild Dom you got your sister you got the family isn't Idris Elba didn't he get like the Captain America serum or something basically Hmm. basically Um, yeah but I think audiences are craving finality and things of that nature yeah. Anyway, back to what the fuck we was talking oh, about. Yeah, my thought was about us being indebted to time. Um, if you woke up and it was like, I, I don't know, like 2013 or something, you, you, you haven't gone to college yet, how, but you have the knowledge you have now, what do you think you would do? I feel kind of conflicted about questions like that, right? Mm-hmm. Because a part of me... Um, as much as I hated going through some of the shit I went through, mm-hmm. now that I have perspective, I I can't imagine what I would have been like had I not learned that lesson. Hmm. Okay. 
Right. So when you're 18, mm-hmm. 10 years ago you were eight. And you yeah. can't relate to that person at 18. Mm-mm. But when you're 28, 10 years ago you were 18, you can look back and go, this is what I was thinking. This is how I was feeling. This is what I thought would happen. This is the decision I made. This is what I learned from it. Mm-hmm. And I feel because obviously because one end I know it's time travel isn't possible yet. Mm-hmm. But on another, if it was, I can say that if I didn't break my legs and go through what I did, I can't say that I would be doing what I'm doing right now. And it's almost scarier to think about the kind of guy I would have been without it. Because hmm. one of the things that I learned from my struggle was humility. Hmm. And to be extraordinarily grateful for the things I had and to not take people or time uh, for granted, right? I feel like that's an important lesson kind of in our field. Is I, I feel like we have a, a large amount of personalities in, in the film industry. And, and a lot of people who, it, it is, it's their idea, it's, it's my film and, and yeah. things like that. And um so I, th- I think it is a good thing to have that going into the film industry, but uh, I don't know. Ho- hopefully, it doesn't uh put us like a target, yeah, for like to be like inconvenienced by working with these people who have not learned that yet. Yeah, but it's it's a, it's a it's a weird thing too, because it, once you have perspective, you can kind of understand people, right? Mm-hmm. So when I'm talking to like my cousins who are like you know 19 to like 23. Mm-hmm. And they're telling me about what they want to do and this, that, and the other, right? A part of me wants to be like, "That's a stupid idea. You shouldn't do it." But another part of me is like, "Nah, he got." I can give, I can give you what I've learned, but a lot of life is experience as well. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you got to experience some shit before you realize, like, "Oh, that's what the fuck they were talking about." Mm-hmm. I remember this. <laughs> I had this um, '96 Buick LeSabre. It was baby blue. It was the classiest car I've ever owned. It was a straight pimp mobile. Mm-hmm. Um, and my this is after my second surgery. So I hadn't been to high school. I've been getting homeschooled. And you can only watch so many movies, read so many books, mm-hmm. win the Super Bowl in Madden so many times. Welcome to the pandemic. <laughs> right. And watch. That's what I'm saying. Like, this pandemic now ain't shit. Like, psh, I've been here. You I know how to handle this. But, like, you can only watch so much, you know, you can only watch so much porn. Before, you know, you're finally like, I got to go do some wild shit. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. About I, have being... go, I have to go eat a salad. No, Just give fuck, me something different. No, fuck that. I got to go do something crazy. So I would take this car. I would take my car and I would go down these dirt roads and I would fishtail. Mm-hmm. Because in that moment, I felt like I was in control and it was chaotic. Because if I didn't do, if, if something went wrong, it was over. And mm. it was something about that danger that I needed. I just need, I don't know what it is. I feel like a wild man sometimes, but I needed that. And one day I was, you know, doing my thing and I lost control of the car and it rolled. Oh. And the only thing that stopped it from rolling into a field was it hit a tree. Otherwise, it just kept going. Mm-hmm. And I'm still on crutches at this point. Oh. <laughs> so I get out of the car. I look at oh, it. No. And the first thing that comes in my mind is we got to find a good lie to tell dad. Mm-hmm. And I'm like. Nah. How, yeah, what can I tell him? Uh, the, you know what's fucked up? The first thing that popped in my head was ninja squirrels. That's ninja sounds, squirrels. But I'm like, you know what? Not even. Called the old man, told him what happened. And I'm I'm looking at this wreck. I'm looking at me. I'm broken. This car is broken. Mm-hmm. You I'm know. the car now. 
And it was weird because that was the first time I'd ever had to come to terms with the fact that like life is finite. Hmm. And it's small things that like if that tree wasn't there, there's no telling where I would be. And I'm in the car and I'm just like, holy shit, that's weird. And it's one of those ideas that hits people at different levels. Like some people might not experience that till like 33. Some people might not experience that ever. So when I finally got back into school and hanging out with people my age, we couldn't relate. Hmm, they didn't have that experience of breaking yourself and then the car. But here's the thing. It wasn't even the breaking myself. The one thing that I found interesting about it was I figured out at a young age who was really fucking with you and who wasn't. Because in high school, a lot of the reasons that you're friends with people... It's because you're in the class with them and you want to talk with them? Yeah, it's proximity. Mm-hmm. You're friends because you have AP English at five. Yeah. Or you're friends because you bum rides. Or you're friends because we sit next to each other on the bus. But when I got hurt, I, re- I recognized who texted me and who didn't. Right? Mm-hmm. Who came to see me and who didn't. So when I came back and everyone's like, oh, we missed you. I'm like, wouldn't know it. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> wouldn't know it. It's a crazy way to yeah. live. It's a fun way to live. Re- yeah. Definitely recommend it. Please don't go get cars. I, I, I won't throw my car into a tree. I don't recommend that. I don't recommend it. But like, I don't know. That's life. You know, it's about experiencing and then it's about getting to a point where like you, you have grip gaffer. Mm-hmm. This is like your capstone. This is what you're going to do. Yeah. And dude, I think you're going to fucking dominate this. Sh- I'm very excited. I'm excited too. Like I'm, we're watching all the BTS. We're seeing all the behind the scenes. We're in the meetings. And like my thing, the reason I'm more excited when we get on set mm-hmm. is because we finally come to terms with what we have, what we don't have, what can work, what can't work. And then it's a matter of getting it into the camera. Oh, I see. So then by the time you get to editorial, mm-hmm. when you, that's another thing that separates successful people from unsuccessful people, right? Mm-hmm. Successful people have something to show for it. So even if you get to the editorial stage and you're missing a shot or you're missing some dialogue, right? You still have enough to work with to go, we can still make a fucking story, mm-hmm. right? Then you get That's to the end, you know, it's finished. You submit it to the Emmys. They go, holy shit. Ridley Scott calls you. He gives you a contract. He offers you some blow, but obviously you don't do it because you're a Christian. <laughs> you take a little bit. No, you don't take a little bit. But like, you know, this is that moment. I text Christian. Uh. <laughs> but no, but it's this moment where you achieve and you're on this high, and from that moment on, you realize that every other obstacle that comes around can be achieved. It's just a matter of when and who's going to help me. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like, um, I think I get what you mean. In, in the teaser mm-hmm. that we made, the up until that point, so many things had just been ideas. Yeah. And then that was, and especially coming from quarantine or at least self-imposed quarantine for six months Mm -hmm. is that okay yeah you have a script you have ideas you have things that you want to do um and then when we got together and made that teaser and again i I think of i have that transition to we have everything we can we'll work with what we have we can make something out of that i had that more in the edit bay yeah because for some reason i was thinking in my head like because we don't have like an, an actor yeah. physically in there. We don't have a scene. It, it's more of like a motion media piece. Exactly. And once I realized that, that's when I pulled the whole thing together. That's when it was like super fun. And then I had something real. I, I had something that I, I showed to class mm-hmm. and say like, hey, like, yeah, we have ideas, but look, we did something. We're on the way. And that is 
that helps. That helps us uh, with the momentum to get there and make the full thing. Dude, uh, we've been in here over two hours. All right. <laughs> That's a surprise, actually. I told you. I told you before we started. This is a time the, the suck. time goes. It goes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, ultimately... Oof. Science. Ultimately, <laughs> where do you see yourself wanting to be in your career? Like, what are you... If I can't you tomorrow, I said, mm-hmm. Evan, you can have whatever job you want. Name it, and that's who you are. Hmm. What could you see yourself doing for the next 40 fucking years? Oh, man. I think I think right now I'm going to say kind of pulling together some of the ideas we had earlier mm-hmm. is maybe boarding for something animated or, or, or like pre-production, like, like writing mm-hmm. for something animated and, and going into that process, giving, giving those ideas a way to be made. But I also want the experience of having that short film. Okay. Because if I am in the future and, I don't know, the whole boulders burst from my brain and it's like, I need a short film about me, I know how to do it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I won't see like that spark of creativity and have to put it away because it, I don't know how to do that. Uh, I, I have the experience now of, well, now being in the future to know what it takes to make mm-hmm. that, to know who I need to talk to, to know like what level of work needs to go into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. I, as a person who lived the longest in one location for eight years, <laughs> 40s wild to me yeah so so i could definitely picture like i I don't know like some job and then like a supplementary thing Mm. and maybe the maybe the supplementary thing switches out Mm -hmm. maybe positions change over the years i don't think i see myself doing one thing for 40 years you know what's crazy Mm -hmm. i'm gonna tell you in my in my strictly unprofessional professional opinion all right dude I would love for you to have your own animated television show. Dude, I'd love that too. <laughs> I no, seriously. Like when I read your stuff and when just from working on Grip Gaffer and just talking to you now, you're the kind of guy who is an individual. Right? Okay. Like I think you you're like you're when I say individual, I mean someone who has at least started or is midway through the process of finding their voice as an individual. Hmm. So I think a lot of, a lot of times you come to film school and everyone's like, what? They want to be like... I want to be a director. I'm, no, not just that. I want to be the next Michael Bay. I want to be the next Spielberg. I want to mm. be the next... They have this idea that they want to be the next something. And they end up copying that. The problem is Christopher Nolan exists and he's way better than you. Mm-hmm. But with you, I read your stuff... And I get I can get hints of your influences, but I also feel like you are on the way to being your own voice. You have this unique voice, and I feel like people will vibe with it. I hope so. No, I know I'm I'm I'm, I'm a, <laughs> I've been in a relationship for six years. It's okay. I'm the prophet. Okay. No, but seriously, I feel like your voice, your sense of humor, your imagination, 
all lend themselves to something universal that I think audiences will be attracted to and I think audiences will be willing um, to invest in. Please don't sell yourself short. I'm, I'm, you, you can do things that I can't, which always impresses me. I love to hang My biggest thing is I love to hang out with people who make me feel lazy. No, seriously, who make me feel lazy or can do things that I can't because then that motivates me to want to be better. I, I don't see you as lazy, though. Not, here's the thing. But, but you feel it, like, deep down? But not deep down, but, like, that's kind of one of those things where, like, when you, like I said, when you when you feel like you're in debt to time, there are times when you wake up. Like, I, I go to the gym every day, mm-hmm. right? And I try to go to the gym in the morning, and when I wake up, and there's two voices in your head. There's your inner bitch, and then there's your inner DMX. Mm-hmm. <laughs> two wolves. Both are hungry. One sheep, one wolf. Mm-hmm. And your sheep is always like, oh, man, this bed is warm. Yeah. You don't want to get up. Especially now in the Look, winter. You'll just go tomorrow. Shh, just go tomorrow. And your NDMX is like, fuck that. Fuck that. You got to go now. Because mm-hmm. if you give in to that bitch, you'll do it tomorrow. And then the next day, then it'll be a fucking habit. Right? Mm-hmm. So then I'll get on the social media. And I'll like, I follow people specifically who are always doing something. So I'll go through the stories. And like some person's working on a storyboard. Some person's on a shoot. Some person's already been up for the last four hours. I'm like, fuck, I can't just lay here. Yeah, I got to make some shit happen. And when I look at your work, it's I'm a I'm a huge fan of comedy of all tiers. And your comedy is interesting because it's it's a brand of comedy that I don't think I could write. Um, but mm-hmm. I I am always appreciative I'm like I couldn't write that, but this guy can and fuck it's funny. I'm glad. What we're dealing with now is the fact that I don't know how to take compliments. So I'm just like sitting here smiling with a microphone in front of me like, but, but, uh, hey. I don't, even think, I don't even think it's so much compliments as much as it is like, I guess it's me basically saying, bro, you're on the right fucking path. Well, thank you. Right. Um, but I'm about to wrap it up. But before <laughs> we go, mm-hmm. I feel like we talk about it so much in school that I got to make you do it now. Oh, okay. What is your one-minute elevator pitch for Evan and Grip Gaffer? Why should people support Evan and Grip Gaffer? I don't even like elevators, man. Bing or in it. What's up? Hey, how's it going? (laughs) I'm Evan, and uh, (laughs) I think that's just straight up from the pitch video of me being tied up. Oh, hey. You know what's crazy? I've realized in pitches, never start with, hey, how you doing? You got to go in like fucking Robert De Niro in Casino. Fuck's up. I got this shit for you. Mm-hmm. Hey, yo, I got I got this project. I have to say yo. Like, I have to. It's... You got to say yo. It's, I, I'm never good at the pitch. I've noticed. In a, the elevator pitch. Well, then, don't, see, here's the thing about the pitch. Mm-hmm. Never worry about the pitch. Just tell me what you got. Don't even think of it as a pitch. Like, whenever I pitch stuff in class, I never think of it as such. They go, I just show up and I go, this is what I'm working on. This is what we're fucking with. These are the people. You either fucking with it or you're not. Hmm. What do you got for me, kid? What, what do you got? I guess that's kind of like what I'm writing in these emails. I'm sending people about the campaign. Science. What do you got? What do you got for me? Just saying, I've got a really goofy, fun short film that I am working on. It's called The Adventures of Grip Gaffer. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a parody of superhero films. I'm making a superhero about film. And being on set and being behind the scenes. And I... 
That's fucking dope, kid. So what's Grip? Well, well, who is Grip Gaffer? What is he like a power? He got powers? What's going on here? Grip can conjure film expendables. He can conjure the things that go away when you make a film. The things that you don't think about immediately. Um, and But they're there. They're, they're always there. And they're needed to make the, the film into a reality. Mm. Uh, and that's... That's what Grip's dealing with. He's there and he's ready and he, he wants to be known. He, he wants to, to break free into the world and, and be recognized for his efforts. Oh. Film's complicated. What's standing in his way? Well, he doesn't have much experience. Not, not every industry person is, is starting out like Michael Bay. Mm. Not, not every person is Steven Spielberg. It's uh, you all start somewhere. Mm. You know, we, sometimes we got to make movies with our family. Sometimes we gotta goof off with an iPhone and, and, and make something that hopefully makes someone laugh. Mm, who's the villain? What's, what's, what's the villain's plan? The villain is the Stinger. And the Stinger, much like Grip Gaffer, also a, wants to be known. What's a Stinger? Stingers are extension cords oh, used on set. That's what those guys mean. Okay, okay, okay. And they're all over set. And they're dark. You're frequently in a studio on a dark floor. You miss those things sometimes. You have to look out for those for your own safety. Yeah. The Stinger wants to be known as well. But she's going at it for a completely different vibe. She has become embittered by the fact that she's not no- she's not being noticed. So she's turned to the side of villainy. Is it a drama or a comedy? It's a comedy. Oh, pretty fucking funny. How do I give money to this comedy? How do I support this comedy? It is currently running on Kickstarter. Mm. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at gripgafferfilm. Mm. You can watch the teaser that we put together, uh, taped me up and I lost some hair for. <laughs> uh, read, read about my a little bit more about my inspiration, see the crew I have on board, mm. and hopefully contribute. How do, I get, how do I get in contact with you personally? Me personally? Uh, I'm on Instagram at Evan underscore Burdett. Uh, I don't and thus the pitch ends because I don't. I frequently don't use social media. <laughs> it's best. It's okay. That's all, all you need is an Instagram, a Facebook, and maybe a Twitter. You got. I don't even have the Twitter. The um. Hey, but if you reach out to at Grip Gaffer Film, I'll be alerted. I'll see it. Fantastic. When is the? Is there a time limit on how long I have to give? Yes, I I believe we have forty days left. We're ending January thirteenth, I believe. It's a Wednesday. What's your goal? How much money are you need? Ten thousand dollars. We're going to be paying. We're paying our actors. Mm-hmm. We we have to pay our crew. Mm-hmm. We have to. We have a stunt coordinator. Spoiler alert: There's a fight scene. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we also have to pay for the right equipment. We have to pay for transportation and locations to put this on on the correct stage. And mm-hmm. because it's twenty twenty. We got COVID to deal with, and we need to make sure everyone's safe and protected while we make this film. Tremendous. Fantastic. That was hilarious. Because you never have to give one of those pitches, right? Mm-mm. The, I think the idea of the elevator pitch, I'm not saying it doesn't exist. Maybe I just haven't experienced it yet, and I'm talking out of my ass. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it's never in an elevator. It's always like you meet someone at a film festival, and you're like, oh, this is what I'm working on. They go, oh, I kinda, that's kind of cool. Let's meet sometime. Yeah, and then it's like, I don't know. I think I think the the threat is that your immediate thing that you say you say doesn't capture them, and they're like, okay, and they don't follow up. Science. Oh man, holy shit. Mm-hmm. It's getting dark. Yeah, dude, we've been here two hours seventeen minutes. Wild. It is very wild. I told you it was a time suck when you come in here. Mm-hmm. But dude, 
Definitely appreciate you coming on, bro. Thanks for having me. We have, um, the podcast has an open door policy. Whenever you want to come by, you just want to shoot the shit or you want to talk about anything, dude, just let me know. I would love to have you back on again. I think we had a pretty good conversation today. So do I. That was a lot of fun. It's very interesting. It's good to like, uh, you know, I'm obviously going to go back to sending emails to to friends and family, uh, but it's good to like hang out and... I don't know if detox is the right word, but just to chill, to I relax. Think, I think it's incredibly important, especially when you go through a lot of shit and stress. <laughs> Sometimes it makes it best is if you can take those thoughts in your head and verbalize them either into words or write them down. Mm-hmm. Because then once you do that, you some... It gets out. Exactly. You take that power away and you're like, you know what? Not in a bad spot. We're actually pretty mm-hmm. good. Sometimes you say like, I'm really stressed. And you say it out loud and it goes into the ether and then you kind of reevaluate. And it's an idea that went out there and it has left occupying your brain. And you can say like, you know what? Maybe, maybe I'm not not that stressed. Maybe we're all right. Yeah, I'm, I'm busy, but I'm good. Bro, I'm excited. I look forward to this. Um, I hope everyone comes and supports. And I think this is going to be something really, really, really special. And I think this is something people need. Everyone's dying to laugh. Especially this year. Bro, yes. I think this is a tremendous way to start the year off, man. I definitely appreciate you coming on. Great. Thank you. I definitely appreciate you uh, you helping out. No problem, brother. Ooh. Filmmaking is a lot like life in that it's, you know, it's this journey and it, it, it attracts people from many different walks of life, many different interesting people. And I love having guys like, you know, Evan on. That was a that was a great conversation. I haven't talked to someone like that in a while. Um, this is like the first podcast we've recorded since the hiatus, and it was good to get back into the swing of things. It was good to, you know, learn about another person, and I hope you guys learned something. I know I did. I hope these benefit you just like they benefit me. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess we don't end like we always end. You know, spread peace, love, and positivity wherever you go. You know, time is not guaranteed, so spend it wisely. Peace. Now for a word from our sponsors. Let me ask you something. Are you someone who's looking into making a podcast but you have no idea where to start? Start with Anchor. Let me explain. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. First off, it's free. They have creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast from your phone or computer. Anchor will even distribute your podcast so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple, and many, many other platforms. You can also make money with your podcast without having any minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So what are you waiting for? Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started.